yours? No, I... Mother said she found it in your closet. I don't know. One of the guys must have... Must have what? Look, Dad, it's Where not... Where did you get it? Dad, Answer I... me. Who taught you how to do this stuff? You, all right? I learned it by watching you. Parents who use drugs have children who use drugs. We got we got in a big trouble last week. We got in so much trouble I began crying. <laughs> and I, it's one of those situations where I didn't want to cry in front of my friend Blake, but I started crying and then I was just more Wouldn't pissed be off. The, not the first time. It won't, it won't be, be the, the last, last time. time. <laughs> exactly. The parents get you so mad that you start crying in front of your friend because you get bawled out in front of them. I thought it was funny that you left it in. Well, we have no. a show. <laughs> Yeah, we usually freelance it all out, you know. We have various people who edit the show, and then uh, I guess that just got overlooked. It just got overlooked. Because we it was so last minute, us trying to get it together, and then we haven't recorded in so long because our parents had a big sit-down, which yeah. happened before. We had to wait. Yeah, and our parents, See my parents. See if we could hear your dad snoring, and yeah. then we could continue. We had to wait, yeah, to hear, <laughs> hear the footsteps. Of the yeah, we, wait, of the we waited and we were waiting for the uh, for the right <laughs> snore combination and then to make sure that we weren't going to wake them up because you can hear the person snoring, but if you move, they'll wake right up sometimes. But they got mad and my parents called your parents up and then there was a big talk to and then, then they sat us down and then I cried again <laughs> in front of everybody. I laughed. Yeah. Blake, like, I, don't, I have uh, nervous laughter. Yeah, so Blake starts <laughs> laughing when he's, when he's... I think I've told that story on the show before. Yeah, with somebody... I broke the window. You broke the ball. You, you threw the ball. I set out. Sleep. Over. I was at a sleepover, and we had this great idea. He had these water balloons. Because we were talking about starter lineups, and you were knocking yes. down starter lineups. We were. That was the for segue. For people that haven't heard that episode, in a nutshell, I was at a sleepover at a friend's house. Joe hey, well, welcome to Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. I'm Dion Bay. And I'm Jay Blake. Yeah. And I was at Joe St. Martin's house. Yes. Shout, out, shout out to Joe St. Martin. Which is not, isn't the first time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he had water balloon sling, uh, slingshots. Yeah. So <laughs> pretty hefty. Yeah, so we had this great idea that we were going to put Nerf balls. No, no, we were going to put starting lineup figures yeah. on like his windows. <laughs> yeah, so the backdrop <laughs> is the shut window pane, and we put you know how like you you know on your desk you might have like a little like a uh, like a cardboard thing maybe oh, your calendar, calendar would yeah, be yeah, on yeah, it yeah, yeah. but so like we put that in front of the window like very thin that, that would that would theoretically work i would pass that today too so he's using the yellow spiked ball from the teenage mutant ninja turtle like sewer place yes i remember that well and i i sliced a kid's <laughs> head open with that yes and i'm using like one of those like trillion side die dice. Oh yes, became one of those games. Yes, yeah, but it was big, it's hard plastic, and it was fucking laminated. hard, like solid. Yeah, you know the the ball he was using was hollow in the middle, but the one I'm using is just like solid hard plastic. <laughs> and you 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 hit, you hit it off into the and <laughs> I fucking got away from me, hit that uh, hit the cardboard backdrop. And shattered the window behind it. And then the parents... And his mom came up with, like, a, you know, 
I don't know if it was like a vacuum or like just a, a the, swifter, like a you know a, a dustpan and, yeah. and hand broom. But she was yelling at us, and I just couldn't stop laughing. And he's hitting me, and I just started laughing. Yeah. And it wasn't like a, I thought it was funny. I guess I was just really nervous. It wasn't disrespect. <laughs> it was just what are you gonna do? Yeah. <laughs> and I, maybe I was thinking of like how idiotic this whole plan was. But that's what that's what being a kid's about. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. learning from mistakes. Yeah, and sometimes they're huge mistakes. I mean, I was babysitting a next door neighbor. Um, geez, I was probably like 12, 13, 14 at the time because I was still playing with toys, and we were roughhousing in the kids' basement. Two kids were home, and I w- we were I don't know what we were doing. We were running around, and I winged that that freaking uh, spike spike ball. ball from Ninja Turtles at the kid, and it hit him. Right below the eye and cut his just eye open. A, so he just looks ha- up at me and goes, Aah! It's just a half an inch yeah. higher. Yeah. You would have blinded that. would have been sticking out of his eye. Ryan Archambeau's eye would have been blinded for all year. So, what do you do in that situation? How do you explain that away? You can't. So, we ran across the street. Some lady was home. My parents weren't home. She had us. So, we cleaned it. And then the kids come home. We did okay. And then we made up some elaborate. Well, he was he r- ran and tripped and hit his head on the nightstand. <laughs> And, and I'm supposed to be the babysitter. I'm, they're paying yeah, me to. Oh, and that's fucking injuring the kids. Yeah, I was the one freaking beating the crap out of them. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't being violent. We just got a little out of ourselves. Got a little, got a little out of sorts. So my parents, my dad was pissed last night, and we accidentally left it in. That was the Total Recall podcast. Um, you know what I was thinking? Because watching this episode now. And people, some people were like, what the hell is, uh, <laughs> was that real? And we're like, well, my dad got mad. <laughs> I was thinking watching this episode, we didn't bring it up last time. Sometimes we'll do the check, because you said when you were little, if you always expected that the title of the movie would be I wrote that as a note. In yeah. the movie. Yeah. That, yeah. Happens total, that, happens in, that happened in Total Recall. We yeah. never brought it up. It did. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it, it, You had it here. You had it there. That would that fulfilled that little... Uh, check the box. Check me for me it. as a kid. <laughs> so I was like, it must be true, because I growing up, I used to always think that... Uh, the, somehow the movie's title had to be in the movie. So when I was a little kid, they're like, you know, this, the whole world became uh, maximum, went into maximum overdrive. And I was like, check. Said. You know, <laughs> said. You, know then I, you know, real stuff confused me, like Reservoir Dogs or, you know, all kinda, you know I was like, <laughs> some, some of the really, you know, Glenn Glary, Glenn Rodgers. But tonight, I'm excited for tonight's episode. Yeah, this yeah. This is one of my favorite films. And you've been, you've been talking this up. So this, was, we were, this has been since in the hopper. Since high school. It was probably a big genesis of us doing a podwit sidecast of time travel movies oh, we did do way a- back in the day this was probably this my love for this movie was probably the impetus of us saying like let's do a whole episode where we talk about time time travel, travel movies. yes yeah. and we talked about crap we did and like time a- after time we did time <laughs> machine we did a uh, uh, uh looper we did looper we did um it, all, um, it was a big, uh, this big discussion back yeah. when we didn't even do a lot of research. We just kind of no, we were just sat around. We would just sit around <laughs> and we would just talk about what movies we liked and all that. And that that came out as a side cast, and that was prior to the the inception be- of the show. Before the show, we even thought yeah. of doing this show. Yeah, you can still get those if you wanted to on Podwits.com. Some of them have been reissued. Yeah, here we tried to re- we tried to remaster them. You know, we take them <laughs> off the uh, the analog and we try to digitally go through them with white glove treatment to get in the stuff. Before off. we started doing these as sleepovers. Yeah. Really, some of them have kind of uh, poor sound quality because we're, we're taping them off our phone or we have just a, a mic in the room or we, yeah, yeah. We're, we're sitting in front of a mic and then it's it's a really directional mic. So if you turn left or right, you'll lose our you'll lose our voice. Completely. <laughs> <laughs> There's, There's no, no give. Shock. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
just using a, you know, and then there's just no, no omnidirectional at all. It's just as soon as you inch off, you're gone. It's like so good. And then I was like, yeah, yeah. And then he says to me, yeah, ah, that's funny. I was like, oh. Uh, I have no idea if those episodes are even good um, back in those days. I listened to them a couple times because we did, not to go, go down memory lane and bore everybody, but we did a we did a whole bunch. We did horror conventions. We did like- That was um, the first one. Uh, when we were out in LA. We did a Dick Smith episode. We did a Dick Smith episode when he passed away. We did a- Bruce uh, Campbell episode. Bruce Campbell some episode. Some of these have been reissued. Which is reissued here. The, what is it called? The, the Odd Shemp? The Other Shemp? That was the name of that episode? Yeah, and then we had uh, we had the time travel we did a episode. completely off the cuff toy episode. We did about toys in our childhood episode. Like we were actually going to uh, talk about something else, and then we were. I called an audible and three <laughs> off. We were going to do video stores or something. And we did. And then, we, we went into we toys. Did, uh, we did action movies. I think did time travel. We did time travel. We did uh, comic. Remember the um, we did a bat. We did a Batman seventy fifth anniversary. Yeah, it wasn't Special. about like the movie. It was, it was just, just about Batman. the legacy of greatness of Batman Full that we liked. <laughs> yeah, we did. Like I said, we didn't do a lot of research. <laughs> no, we just off our head. We did a Christmas episode. I feel like our favorite Christmas specials or something. I feel like we did a. Um, didn't we do a uh, comic? Novelizations and we uh, might have done photo one novels because I had just started collecting photo novels and yeah. So we did. So we have, all, and then one of them was time travel. And we talked talking about this on time travel, but it was probably because I always make the bold statement about this movie that Back to the Future is the greatest movie ever made. Mm-hmm. Not this, not my favorite movie of all time, but the greatest. But I think the greatest movie of all time. Uh, because <laughs> and you cite because it's probably uh, one of the best or most perfect scripts ever. It is a tight. Well, it's interesting because and it's on lists. It's like. The f- it's uh, maybe AFI is listed as the fifty sixth best script ever. So that those other fifty five got to be crazy. <laughs> that was tight, a really tight. good. Script. I bet you Taken's on. That yeah. <laughs> bet you Taken's on that mother. Uh, uh, but it's interesting because we'll get into it a little bit further because <laughs> watching it this time with the and I'm sick. I got sick, so you're gonna hear me sniffling and coughing with. Excuse me. Thinking with watching it with it being in mind that we're going to talk about it, you know, watching it with kind of a different through different glasses. Um, it's an interesting script in that it it doesn't quite fit. It's a brilliant script, but at the same time, it's a little bit different. Yeah. In terms of especially like you know, Deanna and I went to film school, so we had like dramatic structure classes, and we had directing classes where we learned all about like breaking down scripts and blah blah blah. It really, and it really doesn't, us. and it doesn't really, but it doesn't really follow a lot of that the logic. The, you know, the script structure of the save the cat, common, like the beats and stuff, the common script structure. But I think that's a we'll get into that a little bit later. So, but uh, it's it's just it's a brilliantly executed movie not perfect there's stuff that you know you can nitpick certain things and we'll certainly you know comically hopefully comically nitpick a couple of those things as we talk about this script but just so, like everybody's so great in it yeah this, it's the just cast is I just great. love this movie if you were going to say like the purpose of movies is for entertainment yeah this is certainly one of them this <laughs> there's no movie that entertains me more than this movie yeah. no matter how many times I watch it I can watch this movie I watch you know I've, I watched it yesterday I watched it again tonight with you <laughs> Like I watch, I watch this movie several times a year, and it work. It's funny every time. When, when that thing comes, you know, when the tree falls and the thing comes out of the, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the end. Yeah, I'm always on the edge of my seat 
like is is Doc going to get the thing plugged in? Is Marty going to? Even though I know it's going to happen, this time it might not happen. Yeah, you know, <laughs> like it, I'm always sus- like in suspense. You like forget on the, the edge of my like I totally get you. You get buckled like, in in that journey. You get taken for it every time. It, it, it like sweeps me off my feet every time. This yeah, movie. I, I I think there's a rare uh, like. Uh, like cadre of movies that do that like you know you can say Indiana Jones is kind of do that or sure, yeah. I remember when I f- I don't know if it still does but when I first saw the Pirates of the Caribbean the first movie in the theater yeah. it was right after we graduated film school and that was kind of the first movie that snapped me out of yeah going yeah. to film well, like, I used to say I used to say things to you like for me like the Matrix when I saw the Matrix it was we saw it during our I saw that that came out our senior year of film school and I just was kind of really jaded. And then I went and I saw that movie by myself. And I came back to you and I was like, that movie makes me f- feel like I felt when I wanted to make movies. Yeah. You know, like it reminded me what it was like to be a kid. Yeah. And this and, certainly. And, and I remember like you didn't quite get it. And then when you saw Pirates of the Caribbean, you said, I know what you mean now. Like, yeah. I was Car- crying. Pirates I was crying again. <laughs> Did that to me. Yeah. It's it's just one of the. And then I can see then what you say. The, every time you watch it, you get so like, you know, like. Uh, uh, caught up in it that you 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 forget where it's going, you, and then it's it's like you're almost reliving it again for the first yeah. time, and that's a testament to how good it is, like written and uh, directorial. Yeah, it's one of those movies. You know, I think when we talked about Rocky, which is probably my favorite movie of all time, I, ta- I talked a lot about how like that movie's in a lot of ways they caught lightning in a bottle. Yeah, like no, like the performances. I can't imagine anybody being better in any of those performances that they are. I can't imagine anybody doing a better score for Rocky than Bill Conti did. It's just like everything about that movie is so fucking good. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. In a lot of ways, I feel like this movie's like that too. Like everything just con- like comes together. Hey, you know, uh, I've always, um, I've always loved, and I guess on on an unconscious level because I never made the connection, but I've always loved Zemeckis. Yeah. Robert Zemeckis. I love Roger, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which we did last year. Um, and I feel like I was thinking while watching this movie, Back to the Future, that that we didn't even talk enough of, of Christopher Lloyd and Dot and as <laughs> Judge Doom and, and yeah, you know, yeah. we didn't give him his due, which we could probably do here. But I mean, Zemeckis for me, like um, his earlier stuff, not so much, but just this stuff. And then especially I, I, I've been really enjoying the past couple of years. I think he did Death Becomes or two, which I love. I hope that's right. And uh, I love all his um, uh, live action rotoscoping he's been doing, you know, with Beowulf and mm-hmm. with Christmas Carol. But I've always found him to be an innovator. And uh, I've like I've been really enjoyed his storytelling. And then when you bring in Spielberg into that, that you know, into that equation and, and it yeah, really well, makes a lovely blend of uh, a pound cake. <laughs> it's interesting because, you know, Ready Player One came out uh, a few months ago and I remember waiting in line to see another movie with a friend of mine and they were like, oh, so what do you think of Ready Player One? I was like, I don't know anything about it. You know, like I didn't read yeah, the comic book or the book, whatever it's based yeah, on. Yeah, the novel it's based on. And I don't, you know, I've seen a couple of the teasers and I said, but what I will say about it and it's only I only probably thought this way because of our Roger Rabbit episode was that I said what I will say about it is like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, nobody could make this movie except for Steven Spielberg. Yeah, he's, he's like, the so only that, one. It, so like he's the only one that like every person that lice every company that lice that's going to license their product their thing to a movie and have it live in har- in beautiful harmony with yeah. every other thing there's only one person that could make that happen and, Steven and that's Spielberg. Steven, Spielberg, Steven Spielberg and even though he didn't direct Roger Rabbit it was uh, his 
influence that that or his per, uh, his personal relationships with these companies, Disney, Disney Warner, Warner Brothers, and Disney to say like, okay, yeah, like you could have Donald Duck and Daffy Duck in a scene together in a frame, or or, <laughs> or uh, Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse, which has never been done again. I mean, that's, that's what that's thirty. 30 years ago, this 1988, yeah. 2018. So it's like, yeah, that's never been done ever since. And it's all because of Spielberg coming together and doing that. And the thing that really kind of, you know, again, like I said, I never really thought anything of Ready Player One before it came out until I saw a commercial and it had a quote from some critic and I don't know who, what critic it was, but the quote was like pure Spielberg movie magic. And I was like, oh, <laughs> If that is like, true, th- then this might be the best movie ever made. Because you know what? I've been longing for some pure Spielberg movie magic. Yeah. And even though he didn't direct this movie and he didn't direct, you know, quest- questionably Poltergeist, Poltergeist and he yeah. didn't direct Roger Rabbit, and he didn't direct Goonies, which we did recently on the show. Did he direct um, Young he, Frankenstein? Uh, he, I'm sorry, Young Sherlock Holmes? Young Sherlock? I don't. He didn't direct Young Sherlock Holmes. He didn't direct the Goonies. But all these movies are like, we're. We're Spielberg kids. Yeah. You know, like... One way or another. <laughs> you know, like, you could say... I always say, like, our generation is the fil- is the video store generation. And really, our generation is, like, the Spielberg generation. Yeah. You know, we grew up with... You know, of course, like, Jaws predates us and stuff like that. But, like, once he hits his groove in the 80s where he's producing all these, they all have this Spielbergian... Yeah, flavor. Like, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, and like Alan Silvestri's score for this movie is so, you know, like it's very John Williams in a way, but it also, because I think Silvestri also did amazing stories. Yeah. And that's this theme always reminds me of the amazing, <laughs> the amazing stories theme song, which was a Spielberg And production. did he end up going on to do Roger Rabbit? I've forgotten now. Did he do Roger Rabbit's score too? Silvestri, I, he he may have, yeah, because I feel like he was doing something at the same time, and then it was it was he was dividing his time between two. But that sounds right. That could be wrong. We'll have someone look into that. Gonna get um, old Mother Google a little a little uh, <laughs> in a little shoe. Um, so, but do you remember seeing this movie for the first time? Because I do for sure. I do too. I saw this in the actual theater. Um, and it's weird because it's one of those movies that it's probably one of the last times I remember seeing a. You, uh, I went to the movies. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the last times I've ever been to the the picture show. Al- Alan Silvestri did do uh, Roger, Roger Rabbit. Rabbit. Okay, good. I thought he did, but um, which is a very different. Score. Yeah, yeah, and it's I think very we talk about. Yeah, and that. I don't think you say you, I don't think you you recall that you liked it as much as his other. Well, yeah, in, I think it was just that, like in the context of Alan Silvestri score. Yeah, Roger Rabbit's not my favorite. It's very lush, but I remember the, talking about like. Because it's doing five or six different things. It's yeah. doing like film noir. It's doing adventure. It's trying to do like zany, yeah. cartoon, jazzy, yeah. Eight, and then it has that eighties like you know influence. That's it's it's like gravy. It's getting everything on the plate. <laughs> you know the eighties. Um, so I I remember seeing this. This is one of the last times I remember actually going by myself with my mom to the movies. I remember very, being very young and my mom taking me to a lot of the revival uh, movies. And of, we like, should mention that Claire still alive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's still with she's, us. She's yes. just never went to the movies, just you and her. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. She's still with us. She just backhanded me a couple of days ago. Um, yes, she, she's still with us. And um, she, I remember going to see like the Disney movies when they did like Bambi, Peter Pan, and the theater for those yeah, revivals yeah. of Snow White I and the early seeing 80s. Snow White. Yeah. You know? And uh, she took me to see them. And I remember we went one 
day. It got to be what fall or summer 1985. I think it was fall because I remember being cold. And we went with my next door neighbor in New Haven and that woman's mom, uh, Lily Flanagan. I forget her mom's name, but her mom, I remember, was how would that Mrs. work? Mrs. Flanagan. Well, she was deaf. Mrs. Flanagan, so I don't know how well, I don't know how that would work. But so we went to the, th- it was the three of us, and then I went. So I came along, and it's cr- insane to me to think that, like, you know, I'm older than my mom now than she was then when she took me. <laughs> you know what I mean? To, yeah, to this thing, yeah. and then, like, relating to, like, how old then um, Lily, the next-door neighbor, had to be. She's probably, like, 10 years older than I am now, or 15, which, and then her mother's probably the age of my parents now. It's all this big, yeah. great, Scott. <laughs> 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 it's like you know, it's just a conundrum. It's just so. I remember, I remember going. I had to be what? Am I six years old at the time? I just turned six, and uh, in 1985, and sitting in that theater, I remember loving it, not getting bored at all. Yeah. Completely understanding from back to front what's happening, and I don't know if that's unique for like people our age that have such a love for cinema that was uh, inundated with it at such an early age. And then I remember getting home, and when I got home. My mother went inside to, 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 to prepare dinner, and it was kind of getting blue out, like dusk. Yeah. And I was playing outside. I got my constructs out. I made out of constructs a DeLorean. And then I had – this is why I thought it was um, kind of wintry, because I remember there's snow being on the ground. And I remember having, like, this little snow viper – Cobra guy and I had him in it and he was going to be going back into time and then it got too dark and mom was like get inside because dinner's going to be ready <laughs> the and werewolves are coming <laughs> out yeah it's, it's like, <laughs> the coyotes yeah, are on the run <laughs> yeah quick they're at the gate you know I'm running trying to get in <laughs> she snatches me away and they, they destroy my toys and they eat the toys and I'm like no she's like don't ever go back don't ever go out after dog again boy I'm sorry mom never again Yes, yes, how Gun Wave in New Haven was. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, was day. A, it was a dangerous <laughs> in the mid eighties. Hey, we moved out of there. They get a little dicey. But um and and I remember that being a very unique memory for me. And then we had the, the notorious tape that I always bring up, the cassette uh, the videotape that has I gotta get all this right. So, <laughs> it's a glorious <laughs> glorious video. The fact that it comes up <laughs> that must have been at SLP. It, of course, it was. Because <laughs> every movie we've talked on this show, <laughs> we, we relate to was this. On, that was on that tape. <laughs> and you know what? It's one of those '80s hard shell like Magnavox SLPs. Yeah. So that shit might have even been eight hour. Like you know how like back in the day they had some weird parameters for you know, and, and the shit's that heavy. Was, <laughs> shit was sketchy back. <laughs> <laughs> you're getting that shit direct from Japan, you know? <laughs> Things were regulated. <laughs> there were no regulation, man. S-P-L-P-S-L-P-E-P. Eight hours on that six-hour tape. That shit's just like S-L-X-L-E-P. So that tape had Karate Kid into the Terminator, into Commando, and then Commando would fuzz out into Cloud City to the end of Empire Strikes yeah. Back, meaning that after Terminator, we had taped originally Empire Strikes Back, and then when Commando came on, my dad was looking for a tape, pop that in. Yeah. So um, I got over Karate Kid probably when I moved out of uh, New Haven, because we talked about that in the Karate Kid episode, and I taped Back to the Future on the beginning of that tape, over, over, Karate, Kid. over Karate Kid. So then yeah. what would happen is on that tape was we'd watch Back to the Future, and at the end of Back to the Future, it would fuzz out Right at the end, when he's got his Daniel's got Be- his leg broken <laughs> and he's got he's oh, in the position, <laughs> right, he's just about to do yeah, the crane. And, he, <laughs> and, he, and, the, and the crane kick may even come up like quick. 
you know, and then he does it and it falls, and it's like, oh, thank you, Mr. Miyagi. And then Mr. Miyagi sees his face and it turns all of a sudden yeah. into like nuclear holocaust of <laughs> 20. That, that fusses out. Yeah, 20, the 29. Skull being yeah, or you see like the HKs flying by. <laughs> so that was on that tape. So I, I remember watching that quite a bit and loving that movie. Yeah. And then probably getting into like high school, I haven't watched it. I really. Um, this is taking too long, but I remember then being like, you know, when are they going to make a part two? Are we ever going to see a part two? And then them making a part two in 89. I remember going to see that and loving that. Yeah, yeah. And I remember going to see three in the theater and really liking that too. And I know people don't like two or three as much and three gets a lot of shit, but I like them just I as much. I actually like three better than two. Two now, better than two. Yeah. Now. And then one just ended up always being with me. I hadn't seen it probably in years. And then wa- rewatching it with you had to be at least 20 years. And it's funny because it's such a part of me, this movie. I was instead remembering while watching the scenes my memories of what I was thinking about when I was a kid watching the scenes. Yeah, yeah. If that makes any sense. So, like, the scene when he's, like, talking to Jennifer at the beginning and they're talking about going up to the lake, I was remembering as a kid thinking about what the lake looks like. <laughs> yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, oh, they're going to be in sleeping bags. Yeah, crystals. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know. So, like, I was having those memories of what I was, of me trying to speculate in my head, like, the fantasy of the plot. So, and then, so it was so so surreal uh, watching it from back to front again and seeing all this stuff and a lot of stuff I forgot like I've never this probably puts into perspective why I have such an affinity for like the honeymooners say because I, yeah. I was I knew who Jackie Gleason was at a very young age because of the smoking the bandits and then I saw the honeymooners here and they used to replay him so from a very young age I've been obsessed with the honeymooners so it's just so funny there's then and I think there was oh, and then I've always talked about in the past year or two my love for like 50s mu- music we got Johnny Ace's Johnny Ace's The Pledge in here. Mm-hmm. We have the Penguins Earth Angel. We have Johnny Be Good in here. And then that went into a broader scope when I was little, like calling radio stations, asking them to play Earth Angel so I can cassette tape it to have Earth Angel to listen to because I loved it so much from this movie. Yeah. And then the romanticism that we've talked about of the 50s in the 80s and then especially in this movie probably got me versed enough with the 50s that growing up, you and I have talked in other casts. We kind of had pseudo fifties lives because we were watching Dennis the Menace, Leave It to <laughs> yeah, Beaver, yeah. watch Father Knows Best, all <clears> the <throat> cartoons, and then seeing it romanticized on the big screen with this movie or all the other ones we've talked about. So it's just all this stuff was shooting back to me, yeah, and I was yeah. crying again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it was over. Very emotional. Was and you know, I'm sick. I'm on like um, all kinds of meds and stuff. I'm coughing up phlegm, so I'm a little, I'm a little foggy. I remember my dad <coughs> taking my brother and I and likely my stepmother also to see this and i remember that the we got there and the audio the theater was packed yeah i and remember we had to sit in front that's i'm, I'm, I'm sorry to, to interject but yeah i remember whenever we saw it i remember it being packed and i remember we had to sit up kind of near the front yeah you know and that's you know you don't really do that that much but i'm yeah. you know it's my mom and all these women <laughs> Yeah, because you definitely had to look up at it because we were like, maybe not the front row, but like second or third row. And uh, I remember that and just being in complete awe of like the skateboard sequence. And then I don't know if we got it after the movie or before the movie, but I had like the movie magazine. So you saw this first run like I did, right? Yeah. Or in second run, but when it was still in the theaters. It might have even been first run. Yeah. Um, It's one of, you know, it's funny, somebody... Recently put on Twitter, like, what was the... I think Amazon tweeted out, like, what was the first R-rated movie you remember seeing in the theater? 
So it got me thinking about like, what movies do I remember seeing in the theater? And I think Color of Money might have been like the first R-rated movie yeah. I saw. In your the dad theater. took you and your brother, right? <laughs> yeah, we went to go see. But I was like, because oh, I was trying to think like, what was like Thunderdome? What was Mad Max Thunderdome? Yeah. Was that R? But That's that was PG-13. So I was trying to think of like, what else you was... You saw that in the theater? Yeah. Sweet. That's pretty sweet. And... Uh, so I was trying to think of all the movies that I saw in the theater. That's a good. Yeah. Well, I saw RoboCop, but then I got taken out. That's yeah. '87. But then I saw same in '87, The Deadpool, and we stuck through that. That's probably R. And uh, so I was I re- was remembering this, and then yeah. when we watched it, it was, I do remember sitting up front. I remember having the magazine, and I was wondering, it's like a Starlog or something, or just I think something it was that like, was just you know made. How, like they would just make like yeah a, a one off. Maybe it was maybe I got it at the theater because you like a program. It might have actually been like a program. Yeah. I, who knows? Because w- Deanna and I, when we go to conventions now, we see somebody's always selling these programs. Back in the day, there was like movie programs, like you'd that get, you would like get the Broadway for or free. Play, yeah, at the movies. Yeah, they just and if it was like that. and if it was like Grease, it had like you could cut out the record and play like the single. Yeah, like in cardboard. And if it was a special event like opening weekend, you get this limited run it's, it's amazing this all this so forgotten. maybe it was even a program i don't remember but i remember having the magazine i remember being completely obsessed with like the, the skateboards even though i was never allowed to have one <laughs> and i feel like see i feel like mcdonald's did a uh, a tie-in run for back to the future two and three like i know they had cars I know, or and i don't know if they did it for this movie i know pizza hut did for the second one because you could get like these crazy sunglasses that were supposed to be like the sunglasses that the future people wear in the second one. Like the wraparounds or Yeah, it was yeah. just they had different ones, yeah. like different shapes. And uh but this movie, I remember that. I remember having the magazine. I just rem- you know, and then in I think in within recent years I had this thing in when we were in film school, I caught the end of the second one on TV with a uh, with a uh, a roommate that Deanna and I had. And I remember being like, wow, this is really fucking awesome. And being like, the second one is amazing. And then I rewatched the whole second one. I was like, eh, this second yeah. one maybe doesn't hold up as much as I remember. The end, I think the end is great because you're seeing everything from different perspectives. Of the first one, yeah. And I remember thinking, like, like that's, that's really that's cool. brilliant and yeah. really well done. And kind of, yeah, hard to kind of uh, tackle. Yeah, like a, like a difficult thing to do and have it seems so you know genuine the way it does but this movie i don't know at some point i just came around on this movie and just realized everything that i was saying before that it's like no matter how many times i watch it because i watch it often that like i always laugh i always think christopher lloyd's expressions are funny i always find new things about it that like maybe i either didn't see it didn't notice at all or noticed and never thought anything of and then forgot yeah. Um, and then, like I said, and at the end, always I always get swept up into like the end. Like yeah. I'm always, <laughs> it always makes me anxious. And I forget how um, um, big the movie was too. I mean, Michael J. Fox was huge on the scene with like Teen Wolf. And well, yeah. Well, Teen. What's interesting about Teen Wolf is he made Teen Wolf first. Yeah. He was made Teen Wolf like on hiatus from Family Ties, yeah, which is what he was really known for. And that, yeah, that's how big he was on that. And he made Teen Wolf, and then like the people of Teen, and then. And then Back to the Future was made, and Back to the Future had a very quick turnaround. Yeah. And I just imagine thinking, like, the people from Teen Wolf must have been so excited that Back to the Future came out first. Because after Back to the Future came out first, he was a big star. And then they have him be in Teen Wolf. And then they put Teen Wolf on after this movie came out. And even, like, overseas, when it's dubbed, 
they changed uh, Scott. His name's Scott. I think Scott Howard in Teen Wolf. They changed his name to Marty. Wow. And other like Costa Rican movie posters. There were posters in other li- in foreign markets that were changed, for, for Teen Wolf that changed the movie the title from Teen Wolf to like the Boy from the Future. <laughs> to really try to capitalize on like this is a sequel. <laughs> I mean, this he was huge. Um, I remember Huey Lewis being a freaking yeah. staple of the '80s. Do you know that was like well, he was the soundtrack. Was a big album and, and, and Marty has a sport. You know, uh, Huey Lewis sports poster on his wall. And and like Huey Lewis was always like this guy that like looked at like like so older to me. He's probably like 20, but it's like he always looks <laughs> he so d- much older in those look, videos. He does look like you a know? more mature like, guy than. And he has a very u- unique voice. You know what I mean? And he always seemed awesome with those '80s you know sunglasses on. And then you have like. I knew Christopher Lloyd back then, of course, probably from Taxi. Taxi. Yeah. It's before um, a cl- Clue was a uh, maybe a year later. When did or so. Wrath of Khan? That's a- no, uh, 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 Search for Spock. That's eighty three, right? Search for Spock. Eighty four, eighty three, and he practically invents Klingon, kind of there speaking yeah. Klingon. Uh, but he he was well versed, at least for me. I knew who he was, so it was seeing him in this. Um, it, 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 like you said, the the cast is immense, and it's. It's done in such a way where, like, anybody can kind of follow it. And I was surprised. Now, coming 20 years on seeing this movie and watching it tonight, like, some of the the, 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 the plot I forget. Yeah. And it's kind of like it's – it's some of it's kind of scandalous. You know, if you get into, like, the, the – the, you know, to, to if you if – you, abstractly analyze what's going yeah. on here but well, it's just because like, that gets talked about like this ed- the Oedipal thing yeah you know of that, like his mom's in love with him and well they play the incest card very well in this movie which is interesting and it's just, like you know I hear those I hear those arguments and I can see those arguments yeah. but I also feel like it never occurred to me to be no it never did either but f- it's, it's not funny. like Marty's like tapping her in the back of the car <laughs> <laughs> no but you know what, what you know what I mean it's like he's reluctant he's standoffish yeah but and she doesn't know. But so he's kind of into it, which is odd because he's he's giving it to her that she's good looking, which is kind of like he's like you know well, wow he's he's fl- he's kind of flat and, and of course Leah Thompson's amazing in this, yeah. and it's amazing to think then that um, you know p- people always bring up in an incest conversation Star Wars. Sure, you know yeah. they're always like you know I'm like I'm like you, you're talking about Star Wars. Look at here, <laughs> or this is like it's there's so much, and then it's there's and then even like the idea of. Of them setting up almost a sexual assault for them, <laughs> like, you know, like <laughs> well, not even nowadays. Almost. It's like, it yeah, is. you know, or or then and then there's some stuff that's in the deleted scenes where you're like, you know, there's amazing like he chloroforms somebody. Yeah. He says like, what am I gonna? I'm gonna wake up gay. <laughs> it's like you know, it's like it's like you know, it goes down that line of reasoning <laughs> yeah, where yeah. like in the '80s we talk about it with boobs. There's a in this movie. There's a lot of like you know. Um, with boobs there's like you know the peeping tom aspect in here there's a deleted scene where doc brown's looking at a playboy and it's like that was for huge staples of themes for young people in the 80s like getting nudie mags watching r-rated movies saying shit all the time so you certainly have your your dumpingness of of 80s stuff in here before i forget because i I remember when you said uh, i said leah thompson i also remember at the time being in the car with my mom in West Haven, sitting at a traffic light in front of the University of New Haven, looking up at the light, listening to the radio. And on the radio, some critic like, you know, the Wolf's Den, whatever his name is, doing a review of Back to the Future and commenting on how much he liked Leah Thompson's role and me liking that because I had seen the movie. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I'm sitting there, like, listening in the car, like, oh, I know what he's talking about. Leah Thompson was really good as his mother slash, you know, uh, love interest or whatever in the yeah. movie. So, so sorry, right, that was a uh, early memory. Cast, I mean... You know, a couple of things before, you know, like, 
And the, I, I think we should bring it up just because I find it really interesting on how things conception, you know, how uh, ideas come to be. And the idea of uh, this movie, I'm sure people that some, some of you might know this, Bob Gale, who was Robert Zemeckis's partner, he, they, apparently they always wanted to do like a, like a time travel movie, but they could never come up with like the plot that they felt was good enough and, and the rules and all that stuff. So it was something they always kind of toyed with, but, uh, Bob Gale went home and he was visiting his parents in St. Louis. Yeah. And he was like in downstairs or whatever. And he found his father's old high school yearbook and he was flipping through his high school, his dad's old high school yearbooks, looked at a picture of his dad, saw that his dad was the president of his graduating class. And thought to himself, like, the president, I had no relationship with the president of my graduating class at all. Like, I wonder if I would have been friends with my dad if we went to high school at the same time. And that was kind of like the genesis of this idea of, like, what if what if that we did that as a time yeah, travel like a, movie? Like, a kid yeah. has to go. He ends up going back in time and going to high school with his parents. And then what's, like... And then zaniness and yeah, And then, then Zemeckis had, like, a minor idea of this idea of a, of a mother saying that she's not... Yeah, like the like a, the comedic aspect of having like this mother plays off as being like so virtuous. Like I never, you can't call a boy. I never did anything. And it was alone in a car father. with a boy or whatever. Yeah, yeah. and all this stuff. And, and then, then she's the and then she's he the discovers very, like all like the things about his parents that they might have lied to him very about. Promiscuous. Like I never fucking smoked pot or whatever. You know, yeah. whatever it is. And then lo and behold, so then they I guess they came up with these two these two ideas, and then which is a great. And they had just idea. done used cars, right? So I guess they had done two movies together, and they were kind of lukewarm, and they 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 secured development rights with somebody, like Columbia or somebody says, okay, you can develop this. So they develop a script, and this is way before they even have like a the car as a time machine yeah, or anything, yeah. and they're they're trying to like um, uh, flesh out ideas. And uh, the only person that I guess was liking it was Steven Spielberg, Spielberg, yeah. who they were friends with, who they. They'd already done two pictures with Spielberg yeah. attached that were failures. Yeah. And they didn't want to do another movie with Spielberg because they were like, if this one fails, then it's going to be like... We're just friends we're with only, Spielberg. We're only get movies made because we're friends with Spielberg, even though they're crap movies. Yeah. So, and apparently Spielberg understood this, and then they went off, and they were so, trying to do, develop, and then he ends up getting well, Zemeckis. Well, Zemeckis ends up going to do uh, Romancing the Stone, and that becomes a hit. And I'm a huge, I love Romancing yeah. the Stone when I was little. And he comes back, and then they're kind of... And all of a sudden, like, everybody wants to do Back yeah, to the we'll, Future, we'll do, yeah. because so he's now like, he's hot. So then he says, well, you know, let's go back to the guy who was kind of into the ideas at the beginning, and they grab Zeme- uh, Spielberg again. And then... They write a couple versions of the script. Um, evidently, this one through like a, a ridiculous amount of uh, screenplays. But it's funny because you have the, the dichotomy in the '80s of they have this raunch with, um, you know, invasion, um, um, uh, revenge of the nerds, or uh, yeah, Porky's meatballs, all those kind of really move. The, you know, you get like the the perversion of the '70s becomes like almost okay and into the yeah. into the '80s. You get, the, you get like, like the early '80s sex comedy. Yeah, and so people were reading this and they were like, "No, this isn't raunchy enough. We want it. It's too lighthearted." But then they're like, "Okay, let's take it to Disney because Spielberg had a relationship with Disney." Disney's like, "No, there's there's a mother and a son. There's incest <laughs> here. What the hell? This is so they thought it was too raunchy. So there's there's this idea where they're like they can't win, where they don't know what to do with it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, in terms of specific things, you know, I think that we can bring those up, like, as we kind of work through it. But so that's the initial idea. Now, I said earlier, like, one of the things that I feel like so great about this movie is the cast. I mean, of course, Michael J. Fox, but Christopher Lloyd 
is so fucking good in yeah. this movie. So yeah. good. It's a lot of eye acting, I noticed, because they talk about how they the first choice was John Lithgow or Lithgow, and then he became unavailable for whatever reason. He might have been doing Harry and the Andersons. And so they went to Christopher Lloyd. He said no initially, and then he kind of, his wife, and then he said yes, he read it, and he's like, okay, I'll do it. But if you look at, think of the two of them, they have yeah. a lot of that eye, yeah, you yeah. know, like, oh, they're very, a lot of expression through the eye stuff, and they have a similarity. Because yeah. I can't see, you know, I mean, I could see John Lithgow kind of doing it, but it'd be such a different role, you know. Yeah, well, you know, he plays kind of, you know, back then, he had done, both of them actually had done Buckaroo, Buckaroo Bond's eye. And Lithgow's kind of really out there, Buckaroo Banzai. And, um, but Lloyd's great. Always, since this movie, always loved Leah Thompson. Yeah. And to this day, I'm in love with Leah Thompson yeah. from this yeah. movie. She looks gorgeous and, now. And, and also Howard, Howard the Duck. I have a huge crush on her from Howard the Duck. But this movie, like, I'm, like for my entire life, I've talked about how uh, my whole life I've been in love with Elizabeth Shue. When yeah. we did Adventures of Babysitting last year, also my entire life I've been in love with Lorraine, <laughs> and uh, and then Crispin Glover, man. Well, first of all, Leah Thompson's never been as good in anything as she is in this movie. Yeah, she's so good. Everybody's so good. Crispin Glover also. He is his performance in this movie. He should have been nominated for an Academy Award for best. Yeah, he's so actor. out there, but it works so well. It's so perfect. He's so funny. Like, you know, when he's at the beginning, when he's watching the honeymooners and then he's like, that laugh. His <laughs> laugh. <laughs> yeah. it, it, he's so funny. And then like, just his whole, his whole like weirdness is so brilliantly used. And that's all him. Like he, he, they say he just he did all that himself, and he was they and they had to like cut back by fifty percent of his weirdness. Yeah, and his like you know, Michael J. Fox talks about you know like there was the scene with the broom and he's sweeping and hit all this action with the broom that he was doing, and and just Zemeckis is like, well, what's going on with the broom, man? He's like, well, I just figured you know, and uh, Michael J. Fox away is a- <laughs> and Michael J. Fox is like, I actually thought I was fine with it, but <laughs> he's just it's like just the way he carries himself. You just, know? But he's so you could tell there's so much going on there with him. Like, is it just how he? Like they said, the shakiness, the nervousness is all him. Yeah. His his insecure looking at people in the and then his the play with his hair. You know, yeah, he's all got a like, very like know, shemp thing. Going yeah, on, where it's like always it's, it's greasy, but it's always like falling into his face. Yeah, and, and he's never. and he's and he can't. Yeah, because there's no hair on the side to hold it up, so it's just falling to this. You know, and it, and it, and even I, you know, I forget watching it now. Watching the two of them, uh, him and Leah Thompson, first as the forty year olds or yeah. whatever they're supposed to be, like you know, late forties. Or early fifties, and then then you see how young they appear when you go back to and she's a Bobby Soccer and he's yeah. a nerd, and it, it's amazing to see the they really try to even so, like Dean Cundy like shoot him almost soft, yeah. So yeah. you don't see any wrinkles, so it, they look so young and so you know. So you see, there's a, such a stark difference. I mean, they're amazing. I love James Tolkien who plays Strickland. I've yeah. always loved him. They said they got him because they loved him in Prince of the City, which is a movie I love. Some of, there are a lot of returning. Some of the side characters, some of the side cast of uh, supporting yeah. cast are our previous uh, Saturday Night Movie sleepover. Him being one, he's in Masters of the Universe. Yeah, he's in <laughs> which of we did last year. I mean, he's in Top Gun. He's in. He's in. A, he shows up in a bunch of places, and he always looks the same. You know, he's yeah. like he hasn't aged. He's one of these guys, and I'm sure we'll get to more stuff he's been in. But he, the, he's a great role in Masters of the Universe that we've covered. Yeah, yeah. But Chris McGlover, so great. I love the scene where, you know, they're going over the plan as he's hanging the laundry in his backyard. Yeah, and 
you know, he's like, well, why, why is she going to be mad at you? He's like, well, you know, you know, good girls don't like when you, you know, when you try to take advantage of them. And he's got the bra on his hand. He's like, are you going to touch? And then he's like, well, what's your line, George? He's like, you, you know, hey, you take your damn hands off. He's like, do you think I should swear? He's like, yes, George, damn it, swear. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I, I love this movie so much. There's yeah. All those little things. You know, what I didn't, I don't know if I ever noticed it before. If I did, I never thought enough of it to remember it. In that, in that beginning scene when he comes home, there's a lot of really nice little things going on in that scene. Which one? Uh, when Marty comes walking in. In the, in, in, the, the, in the 80s. Yeah. I got At a very, like, 80s, it's almost like a... Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, who did uh, oh, uh, Tim Burton? Kind of like John <laughs> Waters, kind of a feel. You know, like when they're yeah, sitting yeah. at the table. Yeah. It's very like '80s modern, like weird. But like he walks in, and Biff is is oh in there giving crap to yeah. his dad, and the guy who plays Biff, uh, Thomas Wilson, yeah, great, amazing. And they amazing. say he's he's completely different in real life, but he I've always thought he's such a big asshole and all. Yeah, I remember. And I've, other than Freaks and Geeks, I don't know if I've ever seen... Oh, he's in, like, April Fool's Day. Oh, the, the J.B. Curtis movie? The, no, uh, she's not in that I'm, one. I'm thinking of uh, The yeah. Prom Night, sorry. Yeah, <clears throat> but I think he's in April Fool's Day. But other than that, I've never really seen him in anything but Freaks and Geeks. Uh, and all three of these movies. And these movies. But yeah. uh, And it's weird because Kristen Glover doesn't reprise his role. And I thought he did. And I remember there was even, like, a slight controversy when we were little. Not you. But, yeah, like, yeah. people were like, that is because you only see... He's upside down. Uh, yeah, he's upside down. With the makeup. Yeah. And he ended up suing them for his likeness and winning. And why didn't he, but I don't know why they he had didn't come some back. kind of falling out with Zemeckis or he wanted more so, money than. Because, I mean, I don't know if people know, but Crispin Glover is, is quite out there. And that's not neither here nor there. Yeah. But, like, I heard, like, his, and his, this is years ago, but I heard, like, he likes to collect antique medical equipment. Probably. You know, like the, you know, like the oddities. Yeah, you yeah. know, like he's, and then, like, when you want, you see him in Charles, um, Charlie's Angels. That's his regular outfit. Yeah, yeah. like he wears Will, those kind Willard, of suits. Will, Willard, Willard, he's amazing in Willard. You know, so he's such a, but he's quirky. Like and that was like a labor of love. He did a music video for Willard where he sings Ben. Yeah, and he paid for it himself, and he had all these really hot supermodels in it that he sings <laughs> to, and it works out great. Well, the funny thing is, you but know, he's he's that's how like he's so artistic. He borders on the sure, you know, being in the John Waters or you know that kind of territory. You know, just you reminded me of. Uh, if you've researched this movie, one of the things that uh, Michael J. Fox was really attracted to with this movie was the fact that Crispin Glover was in it. Yeah. He had worked with Crispin Glover in like a TV movie and in a couple episodes of Family Ties, and he liked acting against Crispin Glover. So he's like, oh, that would be a lot of fun. I would love to work with Crispin. Uh, but Thomas Wilson, so great in this movie. And he looks I, so great as, as old Biff. Yeah. Completely believable. For me, almost the most believable. And then, as the young Biff, it's 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 unbelievable. But you know? some of the subtle things that are going on in this scene that I really notice now, and maybe it's because us being older, we're yeah. older now. Yeah. You know, we're like we're not quite as old as they are in this in the scene, but we're getting there. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like we're definitely closer to their age now than we. And I don't think we need to rehash are. the movie. People probably no, see right, it. Look, if you haven't yeah. seen Back to the Future, yeah, we, yet, we, like, you got to go ask somebody. Yeah. <laughs> It's not up for us to One, help you. shame on you. Yeah. Two, go check it out. Pause this and come yeah. back. But the scene you're talking about is when Marty gets home and, and they're towing the car back. Yeah. And, and, and Biff he, is yelling, is, is like, I can't believe you didn't tell me it was a blind spot. But the subtle things in this scene are 
okay, after he comes and he walks into the, Biff walks into the kitchen and is like, you know, I, I took, I towed your car all the way back and all you have for me is light yeah, beer. Yeah, light beer, yeah, yeah. And he walks out and he sees Marty. Yeah. And he looks at Marty and there's this look on his face where like, for a second, there's a beat. Where, like Biff looks at him like, he realizes like, I'm an asshole. Yeah. And then he go, and then like he kind of pulls himself back out of it. He goes, "What are you looking at, butthead?" Yeah. Say hi to your mom for me. But there's like this look right oh. when he looks at Marty. It's like he realizes that he's a fucking. Well, asshole. I I, in, I almost <laughs> interpreted that look as like maybe Marty could take me in a fight. You know, yeah, like I, you maybe. know, this is getting the age of where uh, you know this guy. If, if he if he pummeled me, I'm not going to be able to do it. Yeah. But he to keep that edge, you know, he's just what he says to him. Like, and what then, are you looking at, butthead? And then a couple of. You know, minutes later, they're having dinner, and that's the scene we're talking about where he's uh, George is laughing at the honeymooners, and and Leah Thompson saying all this stuff, and he, she's he's not listening. But at yeah, all. well, then there's like she's like when she delivers the line, it's like, and that's when I realized that you know I would spend the rest of my life with him. It's sad. Yeah, yeah, and she's you know, and she's and you know she's, she's got the drink in the her hand, and, and it's like low, it's like know. she realizes like. She's, she's that's the ruin, like, like that's the moment my life was ruined almost. Yeah. Very heavy stuff yeah. that like I certainly never noticed when I was and a it's, kid. And he's, I mean, yeah, and they talk about that with Zemeckis. Zemeckis had some really specific, and I guess that's to attribute to him as a really good director. He'd go in with these actors and he'd say, this is what I want to accomplish in the scene. Here's the beats I want you to hit, the, the subplot. And uh, he'd be very specific with them and they'd have to hit it. And... Uh, that's great that he's able to see these, to have these minor yeah. beats that other people can, won't be able to pick up on. But you have that such a real world dilemma of, you know, um, uh, what's his face is in his, George is in his own world watching TV. You know, she's talking to him the entire dinner and he's yeah. not answering. And she's reminiscing. And she, yeah, about, about like the, like the, the best time days. of her life, which yeah. was high school, unfortunately. And <laughs> she's now just drinking. What's his, didn't he lose his job? Is Jimmy Olsen from the Superman movies? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He lost his job no, at Burger King. No, or, you know, he's on his way to get, grab the bus to go to work because yeah. he's in the outfit. <laughs> yeah. And then, this, and then uh, yeah, Jimmy, the guy that played Jimmy Olsen, uh, and then the sister, uh, Wendy Joe Sperber. Yeah, she's someone that like I, people that grew up in our generation have seen her in them. She was in Bosom Buddies. Yeah, she was the one that was in love with Henry, who was Peter Scolari's character in Bosom Buddies. Uh, I think she might even she might be in Bachelor Party. She's yeah. in a lot of movies. She's a lot of that time. She's completely ancillary in this movie. Where and both, yeah, leave and both, but both her and uh, Mark McClure, who plays. The older brother who played Jimmy Olsen in the Christopher Reeves uh, Superman, Superman movies. Yeah. I think they were both in used cars. Yeah, yeah. And then funny enough, because it just mentioned like two Tom Hanks connections with uh, with Wendy Jo Sperber. Uh, Mark McClure has like a very small kind of cameo-ish part in That Thing You Do, which was oh, yeah. Tom Hanks's directorial, writing a directorial debut. Yeah. Um, so a lot of ca- Tom Hanks connections with those two. <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting playing, it was interesting. But it's, it establishes, <clears throat> that scene establishes so much. But it's also interesting know. because as a young viewer in 1985, I would say majority of us, our generation, knew who they were. But didn't know who Crispin Glover and Leah Thompson were. Yeah, you know, and maybe that's good because like we're seeing them in old makeup, and then we're going to see them young. Maybe if we were very familiar with them, seeing them old in makeup would be oh, stay look fake would, to us, would stand fake off. and it'd take us out of the story. That's how I bit. almost look at it now. 
you know, it's it's how much the sh- the movie's aged. You're kind of like, oh, yeah. you know, I could see. I could but see we had older. already seen Superman. We already knew he was Jimmy Olsen. Yeah, like I said we had already seen things like Bosom Buddies, and she was in a lot of movies in the. So 80s. that might be a, a conscious decision to cast them. Uh, in a better likeness, so your eyes attracted to them to say, "Oh, I know them from these movies." Because Superman was a blockbuster in those mo- in in the eighties. He had already yeah. done like three by that point. <laughs> so uh, if you're going to pick him right off the bat, you might not look at them as critical. And yeah. the two of them, and then you're not really seeing, you know, because especially with George and Biff, they're in they're in motion the entire time. Yeah. So you don't really get a good look at them. And then when at the dinner table, he's off watching the honeymooner. So he's not even, you're not even really getting a clear, yeah. you know, full on. And you're only getting her, Leah Thompson, really. And she's just, it's just and her so makeup's sad. not as good as. It's, yeah, it's not as forgiving now, but it's just not as good as Biff's or, or George's. Yeah, or you know. Christopher Lloyd's. Yeah. You know. But um, you really get the feeling in that scene that it's like you know there's there's this other level of like unhappiness. Yeah, this is it's very like, just like it really sad. on this viewing particularly, like at those moments, like especially that one with Lorraine, like really hit a chord with me yeah. that I don't know if I've ever had it do so in the past. I mean, I think I've noticed when that he's not paying attention and she's telling the story reminiscing and which brings us to like another really important part of this movie which you know we've talked about in other podcasts especially something like Terminator which is like the way exposition is delivered yes that's very important in storytelling we've learned <laughs> and you know in, in, we in talk, Terminator it's exposition through action yeah it's like it's all during all the action scenes so it's like you're getting the information but you're not bored by it yeah and I feel like the exposition foreshadowing all that kind of stuff is really well done in this movie. Yeah, well, especially the clock tower stuff. I was noticing all that. Oh, it's all you know, like that's it's one all of the, around that's you, one the of the per, things that I know, like. I love about the script is I've said like this script is tight as a drum. Yeah, <laughs> like there's just it's so meticulously and I guess everything f- perfect for people who don't realize the level. If you don't look at a movie that hardcore and you see, think about a script. It's tight in such a way where I guess everything you see on the screen is furthering the plot to a certain degree. There's yeah. no kind of It's all provide. If it's not furthering the plot, it's providing information so that we're an educated audience. Yeah. So that when that moment comes up in the movie, we know what's going or on. Or there's already. setups and payoffs. There's tons of setups and payoffs in this movie. Well, for Gags. instance, just the story of since we're on this scene, the story where Lorraine's talking about she's reminiscing about her high school days the enchantment under the sea dance that's how she met that's when the, her the and George rhythmic ceremonial ritual <laughs> um, yeah, and you know and and the and uh Linda the sister she's like yeah yeah we heard like grandpa hit him with the car yeah. and you fell and that's how you fell in love it, this is all stuff that is incredibly important information that we're going to later on that we're going to be familiar with Marty's life and exist not even his life, his existence at all is all going to depend on this information that we're learning right now. Yeah. But in this moment, it's it's all like the nostalgia of a, a apparently alcoholic middle aged woman who has a lot of regrets about. Yeah, her life. and it's done in such a way where it's not boring because it's going. I mean, the scene is because it has long. a completely different meaning here. Yeah, it means something to us as an audience, and that it's like I said, it's her. It's not just, yeah, her that mom. We've heard the story a million times, but she's living out her. She's remembering her glory days. Yeah, over of looking in the glass of, of 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 what is she drinking? Freaking you know, vodka. And then if we even go before that, the entire opening sequence before we even see anything, we just hear Alan Silvestri's music and like a Sp- Steven Spielberg production. All of Doc's house is all 
telling us so much. And that's interesting too. That that shot, that really elaborate first take, is almost too long in a sense. Where it's like, I wonder if they keep that today. Where you're going through everything. Oh, probably but it, not. But it keeps it's it's very much again like Tim Burton's opening to uh, Pee Wee Herman when you have that Rube Goldberg kind of a setup, which is here. He yeah. has a Rube Goldberg setup to do everything in his house. But you learn with the clocks and all this. The and, you know, opening and shots, all these clocks is telling us directly as an audience and probably in most cases a sub subconscious level that this movie's about time. And it's telling us that this character who lives here, who we're going to be introduced to later, is obsessed with time. Yeah, and then when you go, and then when you you you, you pan past that or dolly past it, you go on the wall, you get learning about uh, his his Fam- mansion exploding. His family, he had mo- he once had family money, and that his he- his house Mysteri- was destroyed. Ex- mysteriously ex- uh, caught fire and blew up or exploded. He sold it to a developer for a lot of money. The land that it was on. You pass Einstein. He has you a pass, dog. He <laughs> learned that he has a dog. Uh, so and that then, means he's a good guy. People, if you have a pet, you, you know, you think then you, he pat. You know, you have what on the wall that he's got Einstein, all these crazy Franklin. gadgets. So he's some kind of inventor. Yeah, he's got all these elaborate things just to open up. A, you know, he, what is he? He's he's brewing coffee. He's turning the tea. He has a timer for the television to turn the news on. He's the opening dog that, food. The fact that the dog food bowl's full is telling us that he hasn't been there in a long time. Yeah, you know, or he's very dirty. <laughs> You know, like the dog hasn't eaten out of that. You bowl. know, it's everything's automated, and so like there has been passage of time since he's been here, all the way to Marty getting in, kicking his ca- skateboard back, and, and we don't it, get to see him. We just we track we him with his feet. feet, and then we see the skateboard goes back, and then it lands on a, like a plutonium yeah. <laughs> nuclear, in which we just box. learned on the news. You know, so it's what like. Amazing. Yeah. This, this and movie. I mean, I know it sounds like we're gushing over this, but you really, if you could sit down and try to write a story and well, in I, those I, two scenes, put that much backstory, dis, uh, ex- disposition, exposition into a, it, it's, you're hard pressed to throw that much facts in on that level without it being so overtly apparent. Yeah. Clunk, clunk, clunky. Yeah. And boring and making it be almost like Blake used to joke in movies when because uh, I quote Blake all the time um, <laughs> and uh, and my wife loves that I'm like well you know what Blake used to say <laughs> uh, you know when, when it we gets know, too clunky know, Dion. is that you get like you know you, you flash flash the word exposition he knows what I'm going to say <laughs> so it, uh, you know when it's when it becomes clunkier kind of like noticeable you should just flat exposition exp- like a little neon yeah. light and in this movie it's so layered in it becomes, that's why we say it furthers it it's being a perfect you know, script. It's noticeable to me on like the 50th viewing. Yeah. You know, it sticks out. But for decades, it didn't. You know, yeah. and I think, I think you hit on something. For me, I think why I get so impressed with this kind of stuff, this movie uh, in particular, because we're talking about it, but in other movies where, you know, like, look, we're aspiring filmmakers we've always have been you know maybe things didn't work out maybe we had need a time machine of our <laughs> you know i think that's why you know rocky makes a big impact you know thing you know like we're gonna a, go back wherever a certain age but yeah. like we've always wanted to do this so when i see things like this and it's like i never want to f- like it's like on another level that like it makes me think like maybe I couldn't do this. No, but I think it also has a level of there's so many people helping you out. It's not just yeah, one person. But still, it's, it's not like, like see our experience is us doing a solitary film. Yeah, you know, completely alone, alone with like two yeah. people helping well, us yeah. on camera while you're while we're be, you know in a very competitive uh, area where you know you could get you know kicked out of school if they don't like it. So, so like, th- but that opening scene, next great piece of exposition for me is is during the whole Einstein scene. And he's about to, 
Doc Brown is about to leave on his journey. And he's like, at the mall. Yeah, when they, when they're in the mall the party lot. And he's like, oh, like, I forgot to bring extra plutonium. If I if I go and I don't have enough to get back, I will be trapped where I'm going. Yeah. Wink, <laughs> wink. <laughs> but it's done in a way, at least as a kid. I mean, I don't know if I saw yeah, it well, for you, the you first time. Yeah, you didn't even occur. You know, now you watch it like, oh, like, that's for us as an audience to know that Mar- if when Marty goes back in time in three minutes... He's not going to be able to get back to the yeah. to, to the present. It, conv- it, can, it can creates a conflict that we're going to use later on. There's all this, you, you know, know, the clock tower, like you said, like give help the clock tower. I mean, even the subtlety. Something I wanted to touch on too that I, that really hammered home for me in this movie, which we always talk about on a podcast because of our age group of us reminiscing sadly, almost doing like. Uh, you know, like saloon songs about the uh, the the ballad of the video store, how it's gone away. <laughs> it's you <know>? quarter three. <laughs> yeah, and there's no one in the place I'm except Blake and me. Tape. I'm renting a tape, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you know? It's going to be a new release. I want one for that's myself. It's the deal. It's the <laughs> and one for Blake. Well, about two, two for one deal. Yeah. Night. Two for one. <laughs> I got a coupon. Give me one for tonight right. and another one. For tomorrow. <laughs> I know what you're going to say. <laughs> Please keep the tape. Rewind. Oh, sorry. Um, but we were, we were always singing the song of the, of the, 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 the ballad of, the, of the, the forgotten video store. People who are 10 years older than us. You know who who we we share a lot of common things with cinema of Star Wars and seventies cinema and sixties cinema. They went through the ballad of the end of the theater chain, yeah. and it's very evident in this movie where I saw that growing up in big cities like New Haven and stuff. Where, you know, when we grew up in the eighties, there was all these relics of these once lavish movie theaters that were now just ar- yeah. that turned into. So you have at the beginning in Hillsdale, Hillsdale. Hilldale? Hilldale, Hillsdale. Hilldale. You'll see like the, the you know, one of the theaters in town, it's a porn theater now. But when he goes back in time, you have Reagan and Barbara Stanwyck in the Western Battle Queen of Montana. You know, it's like so that's another sub genre that doesn't get talked about a lot where it's like there used to be theaters on every block for people to go see movies. And then yeah. when movies got more accessible with television and uh, you know, the video store, the advent of being able to take this, the product home with you and watch it at home, all these theaters were like, well, you know, they became second run picture houses and then they had to resort to playing porn or something because they had to get people in and then by the 80s they were just getting closed and they sat there hollow for years and they were just you know uh, demolished and a parking lot was put up so I I love that aspect of coming around getting back onto the road well we're not just you're not just seeing like the effect of time on George and Lorraine. Yeah, you're seeing it on this beautiful town. town. Yeah, you know, you have the old Texaco. You see, like, the Bank of America's falling apart. A lot of us see the beautiful, once beautiful Art Deco is now kind of rotting. Which was once the beautiful town square with a monument to World War II is now an empty parking lot. Yeah, and I never noticed that uh, until this viewing where at the beginning, it's a, you know, it, it didn't occur to me uh, uh, as out of place when he does his little montage on the skateboard that it's a parking lot. It just seems normal. Yeah. Oh, it's a parking lot. But then when they go back in time, I always knew that there was a green there, but it made me think, oh, wait a minute, there's not enough room. Oh, they've they've paved the whole little town square for because mm-hmm. you need people have cars, you need parking. You know, so yeah, I don't know if in the future if they've gotten rid of the monument or they've just put it in the center of a parking lot now and you know it's <laughs> stupid but like it, it, it's yeah. all about that you know and then you hear even the mayor you have Goldie 
what's his face, the black guy in the 80s, yeah. um, you know, Goldie Wilson or something wanting to be mayor, and he's saying stuff. And then when you go back in time and they have Red something, Red Wilson or trying to be mayor, he's saying stuff that's in the 50s. I'm going to lower your taxes. I'm going to bring, you know, urban renewal, economic progress. I'm going to help, you know, bring the, you know, suburbanization. Yeah. And that's with all this lavish stuff and turning. And then you see the product in yeah. the 80s. The corner rotting. diner from the 50s is like an aerobic studio yeah. in the 80s. You know, it's, and it's so, it's just even like the, the subplots, like there's so many payoffs, setups and payoffs where you see the, 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 the African-American mayor running for mayor in the 80s and he's the guy in the 50s who's the janitor and then he... McFly says to him, you know, maybe you're, you're going to be mayor. He's like, yeah, I'll run for mayor. <laughs> mayor Goldie Wilson. That's a great, that's a great like idea. Yeah, so it's like there's so every scene, even in the background, you could see jokes of stuff paying off. Like they're playing um, Mr. Sandman, but then there's a, there's a, in the you know, music window, there's a, a, a com- um, like an ad for the original group. I forget what, like the Cornets or whoever yeah. they were, the, you know, pl- you know, it's just, there's so much around. There's, and then especially for, People who grew up in the era, I'm sure this is just like, it's like people for our age watching Ray or Ready Player One. There's so many gold, I'm going to call those freaking Easter eggs yeah, yeah. of all this, you know, the, the Davy Crockett influence. Davy Crockett's all, that was a huge craze in the 50s with the, kins, the, uh, the yeah. coonskin you caps. See it, and you see it advertised at the record at the, store, and then, and then when he walks into the diner, it's playing, playing on the jukebox. And then when he's over the, the, the house and they're watching the honeymooners over um, uh, Leah Thompson's house when she's the, the, the little kid's wearing a coonskin cap. Yeah. You know, so it's very much the pervasiveness of the era. It's just so well done to show the disconnect of 80s to 50s the yeah. you know beautiful almost too much beautiful and then just the the and the even the way the rotting they, of even the, the way Cundy who of course has been on the show in previous he's come over this he's <laughs> slept over so many times John Carpenter uh, he's, he's films, the cinematographer Dean cinematographer Cundy. you know he did sh- Jurassic Park he did a lot of Spielberg stuff didn't he yeah he did Jurassic Park for sure but did he, Escape he, from New York he did Halloween Escape from New York The, the thing. thing The Fog I think yeah uh, Halloween 2 which we did on the show. Did he, he might do have done, Starman? He might have done the third one. I don't know. At some point, he didn't do... I don't think he did Big Trouble in Little China. So right around then is when him and Carpenter had kind of... Did like he do Christine? Following out. I don't... He might have not done Christine. Okay. Um, but he gets friends with Spielberg, and he, and he starts doing Spielberg-related movies. Yeah, and he... Uh, through Jurassic Park. But if you notice, I mean, it's very subtle, but if you notice, like, the... Uh, the present day of the 80s, the lights are a little bit more harsh. You know, the image is a little more crisp. A little real, the, more, the more realistic. The colors are a little more realistic. But then everything in the shot in the 50s, has it's just a t- touch warmer. Everything's just a little bit, the lighting yeah. is just a little bit softer, not as harsh like shadows and stuff. It's just like, it's, he's, it's a subliminal way of telling the audience like this is almost like a dream, like a you know. Memory, like yeah. even because Marty's expression, he, he even like a his, golden age. His initial, his initial thought is like, "I must be dreaming." Oh, when he wakes up in his mom's, yeah. And but everything is kind of, and then it's, but also it's like that's how, you know, it's it, he's playing. They're playing to the memories of the older audience that might have grown up in the fifties. Yeah, of like. The, you know, for them, it's nostalgia, and it's almost like, you know, great memories. This idea of everything just being a little fuzzy, a yeah. little bit warm. You know, it's just like it's it's like this is it's a different time, and a more innocent time. And that's in something way. too that's been taken in. I wouldn't say exploited, but used quite a lot from the '80s into the '90s up until probably even that movie Pleasantville. You know, like with that uh, that yeah. sub theme of going back to the even like with. 
something that's on the podcast with us, like um, what's the, the well, you know, the the Fred Decker movie. Uh, Night of the Creeps. Yeah, Night of the Creeps has an element of that oh, at the sure, beginning. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? So you have We've that kind of... we talked about yeah. like, this idea of nost- 50s nostalgia. Yeah, and, Probably and starting with our Grease episode. I think even before, because we talked about it in Monster I we, Squad. I know we talk about it a lot, in the, like you know, very specifically. Yeah. We talk about like the happy days and how like in the late 70s and then... People were, were yeah, were and reminiscing then in the back. 80s, things like The Thing... The Fly, The Blob, all these 50s sci-fi horror Invasion movies from were being Mars, yeah. in the 80s. How it's like kind of cyclical in yeah. a way. And how it makes sense that now a lot of the 80s material is being remade. We bring because it, it is, it's every 30 years. Yeah, it, it kind like of turns the, on itself. The kids, the, the, we, we ha- the kids that, were n- that grew up in that era are now old enough to be able to make those movies. And made nostalgic for it. You know, so like in the in the fifties, well, like you had a lot of thirty stuff. Yeah, exactly. Creep Show's a love letter to EC which Comics. Which we'll get to at some point. Yeah, and there's a little homage here to, to, to EC Comics, which ends up Zemeckis is one of the executive producers to, to Tales from the Crypt, the HBO TV yeah, show. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, I in we did the Monster Squad cast, and we were talking about at the time us growing up, we. Uh, people of that era knew without a doubt who all the Universal monsters were, even though they because they were just so um, yeah, the, the Americana, icons. yeah, icons. And it and there was a resurgence of that in the eighties, as of what why we just talked about because people were reminiscent about it. So it was so it's very f- re- weird for me because I took it one step further, and I love like there's a line in here when he's when they're doing the Ronald Reagan jokes that I find hilarious. They do a Jack Benny joke, and I didn't yeah. know who Jack Benny was back then, but I laughed out loud with you now because <laughs> I get it. They go, "What is Jack Benny?" The, the, the Secretary of Treasury and, he, and his shtick Jack Benny's was that he was a tightwad he was a miser and it's just so funny and to me he's one of the the five funniest people of all time in my personal opinion so it's like there's so many great nuanced jokes in this that yeah. just get you know that just so I mean it's just so funny with the you know with uh, the whole Ronald Reagan thing because in the 80s and it's just it's I mean you know people you know, whatever your political divide is in the 80s, people will, you know, not like Reagan, you like Reagan, but they did this in such a fun-loving way where it's like, you know, it's funny where he's like, uh, the picture actor, and he's, then he says like, of, then when he sees the video, the camcorder, he's like, of course you need an actor to be your p- president. He's going to be on TV. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, yeah, it's yeah. like he's been trying to justify it. Or he says Jane Wyman, who I think was Reagan's first wife before Nancy Reagan. And it's like all these different jokes. And then, or even Boy, just in a way he's right, because they say that it's a big, yeah, television is a big reason why like Kennedy beat Nixon. Oh, I've, uh, absolutely. In 1959, they, they had a, um, Debate. There was a debate, and it was the first televised debate uh, on television, and Kennedy wasn't feeling well, but they, his doctor, Phil, good doctor, gave him a shot of yeah, well, whatever he, he was a, on. He had an illness. Yeah, and he's on, like, not meth, but he's on an upper, and he get he got a bunch of makeup in uh, Nixon at but the I time. I say, like, whatever disease, whatever illness he had kind of flared up. Well, it, it created a, compl- your complexion looked darker, so it always looked like he was tan. Yeah. But it wasn't like he was tan. It was just that, like, but the illness he had always made him look like he, <laughs> he looked kind of good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like and they, they put powder on him so he didn't shine under those heavy lights. And you have Nixon, who was sick at the time, come on. And Nixon, if you listen to it on the radio, they classically said you thought Nixon won. But if you watched it, Nixon looked sweaty. I mean, these, the yeah. old lights are hot. So he's on there, and then he's sweating balls. He's an older-looking guy. To this guy Kennedy's good looking. He's he looks great. You know he's so it's it be really that exemplified the era of what the possibility of television will be like. Is yeah. people? I mean, nowadays you see people who go on. People don't want makeup, and it's like you know I understand people don't want to be dolled up, but you at least need some sort of powder because if you go on, 
people you're going to look pale or dead to the people who do have some I mean, makeup me on. Me and Dion aren't even filming this, and we put makeup. Yeah, on we do it all the time. I mean, I mean why Blake <laughs> insists I have to have these lashes? I don't understand. I don't know what the hell is going on. And this, you this is a nice really, foundation and look, yeah. nice eyelashes. And, and, never he, and this, and he wants like apple candy red <laughs> lipstick for me to wear. So, um, so it, it so it, it's television. And then, to further that along, before we leave that, I. I it really sank into me where like um, Doc Brown's like like romancing over the camcorder. And he goes, wow. He says, a portable, a portable television studio. Yeah, yeah. And to think about in the 50s, he's right. Well, yeah. Do you think and about how much it took? I mean, and he's an inventor yeah, like and how a scientist. You think yeah. about in, in, in life, we always invent something huge. A computer is as big as a room. Yeah. And then nowadays we have computers in our, in our phone. It's on our phone. You know, we, there's, there's more technology. It took less technology to get to the moon than in our phones. You yeah, know it I mean? took it's like the computing power. Compa- they'd say it took like the computing power of like a hand, you know, uh, calculator from the 80s. Like a Texas s- instrument. To send somebody to, to the moon, moon in the 60s. 60, like the, yeah. So it's amazing. So we always downsize it and make it portable, compatible, you know, uh, 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 very small. So for him to think of how it, much lighting cameras, the bulkiness to get uh, something on television in the old days, and then he's looking at this camcorder, you know, and then it's funny too because when he's able to jimmy rig it to the TV to watch it, yeah. when I was young, I always, because I was like the camcorder kid, you know, when my parents got the camcorder, I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn how to use it. So like I always knew how to work it and hook it up to the back of the TV to show yeah, him what yeah. we did. So I always thought that too, like how is he hooking it? Because we had... <laughs> When we were very little, we had an old TV at yeah. my parents' bedroom yeah, that I would... the converter. Yeah, right? because the older TVs, especially the black and whites, uh, when, say, if you were hooking up your Atari, they weren't coaxial. They had, like, uh, almost... Uh, I don't know the technical name for it, but it's, like, the two screws. Yeah, that you would hook the antenna to. Yeah. The, the UHF antenna would... Yeah, and you'd screw... You'd put the tabs in and you screw it to hold it down, and that, then you'd have to buy a converter to convert to you know your Atari or you have to I remember my dad yeah. buying like a, a switcher to put in back of the cabinet model so that if I wanted to play Atari I'd switch that sucker over from cable yeah. to, to the aux <laughs> yeah <laughs> and the TV's like <laughs> <laughs> and you can hear it's like when you tune an, turn an amp on you're like <laughs> and all the lights low it's like it's like gaslight all the lights get lower you know <laughs> we're gonna see some serious shit and then you, you're about to hit power on the on the, on the Atari, and then everything you lose. You know, the power goes out in the house. Great Scott! You turn it to Darren McGavin downstairs trying to turn the power back on. But it's like it, it reminds me of all this. That like the, this bygone era, and it's really weird because me um, taking the train in to see you today. I was on the train thinking about all this, and it's just like you know, all our memories from the '80s of that analog, non-digital era. People younger than us now, just like we of older eras, we they have no knowledge of. They they grew up in the computerized. I'm getting to that point. You know, digital to get, era. Get like an old person, and that's because you know, like I communicate with people in their 20s on social media. You know, they're part of like the the film community on Twitter. That like you know, I we try to promote the show too and other podcasts. And, and you you have a podcast that you try to promote, and you have a book out. Yeah, so it's like it's. You know, you try to be active, and you see like Asian like, just trolling people on a who wants to be a predator. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're just uh, you know, you, you chat films, you share pictures, blah blah blah. You retweet <laughs> things, and you know, but like yeah. you know, movie posters and whatnot. It's but I do see like a lot of these people, and I and I'm now getting to that age, you know, that I'm sure a parent. You know, you always hear that stereotype of like, you know, when I was a kid, music, blah blah blah. And we had a point, like, just the other day, like, last week, I I was, like, 
remember, I even tweeted because I was like, remember, you know, VHS bootlegs of Japanese laser discs? Yeah. <laughs> and they were like 40, 50 bucks you can get for that thing. You know, at like a horror convention or at a comic book store or something. Because, you know, I was reading some thing on Facebook. Somebody was complaining about like the Blu ray transfer of the Stendhal syndrome. The Dario Argento, Argento movie. And they were complaining of like how bad the Blu-ray looked. And I was like, and everybody's like, yeah, my first version was like the trauma DVD, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I was like, my first version was, you know, a VHS bootleg of a Japanese laser disc that I bought with you in at a the, chat room at the Fangoria convention at you the and New I, York yeah. Hotel and I remember we sat in your dur- in your apartment dorm room you know when, when the, the year after you and I lived together we sat there and we watched it and it was all <laughs> like you know not blurry but generational problems and like the contrast was all yeah, maybe weird, the ratio was off see what was happening yeah <laughs> so, I remember that and I was like you know I feel like you know there's like you, you know not to equate it to something like really serious but there is a little bit of you know, you hear like, you know, like a civil rights movement of like certain generations had to go through hell so that this generation could have the ability to even complain about it. Yeah. Or whatever. <laughs> like I had this bit of this, this like pr- pride of like our generation struggled so that these kids can have the right to do to, to complain yeah. about artifacts on their blu-ray it is <laughs> you make an extreme analogy but i i i, I understand you, yeah well you see people, i mean yeah i'm people, not really equating it to that but like no. this idea of that doing it for comedic purposes certain generations we, yeah, had to really had, we really well, even like i thought of it on the train coming in here i was thinking like well you look at like our parents growing up in an era where you know they were for the most part our age group, our parents are like kind of the baby boomers. Yeah. So they were born post World War II, post war. They were the first kids that got to probably go to college, like you know, which in big are numbers. the teenagers we're talking yeah. about right now in in, the, in this movie in, this movie. in, in 1955. Yeah. So it's like you know, my dad in 1955 was eight, my mom was five. So it's like to think about them growing up, they didn't know the hardship of their parents because their parents, you know, they grew up in the Depression, the Dust Bowl. They grew up, you know, having to go to war. And a lot of people will talk about, you know, as the baby boomers got older and they were comfortable, they that's when they started, like, you know, hating their parents and having all these... Then they, you know... Getting into politics and all this kind of stuff, where there some would say the parents, their parents didn't have that luxury because they were just trying to survive and live with malnutrition, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. bread lines and stuff like that, you know. So it's like you know, these are things that people didn't have to deal with, and they may not have a grasp of. So we may not know the hardships our parents went sure, through, yeah. and as people younger than us may not see. I mean, it's definitely uh, you know. A, Departed completely carmentalized to, to something completely different. Where we're just talking about you know VHS. Oh, yeah, I'm, look, I'm saying know, it in a common yeah. purpose, but you know, but it's, there, it's there's a so little bit true of truth people to it. Talk but it about, I mean, look, it's like you know, first world problems. As they say, yeah, that's but. what that's what I'm looking for. But if you look at us, like you know, you and I grew up going to we were music lovers, going to get bootlegs. I used to remember oh, Jesus. Yeah. I'd pay thirty bucks for a Doors cassette tape. I know forty five dollars. Yeah, for a, for a shitty. You know, it's not even <laughs> like it's a brand name. It's somebody burnt it in yeah. the back room themselves you know took a xerox machine xeroxed and cut out of cover because there was a time where you could even before dc even before dv cdrs and this is before the internet you could get like a silver backed like professionally duplicated cd but it's one of those gold cds (laughs) but it's you know 
that's some the audio it's an audience recording of some guy with a not even a microphone but one of the old style <laughs> yeah like tape recorder sitting in the back of the club yeah under you, his drench coat you, so you barely hear uh, i mean rerun blake, style. blake has a uh blake has a yeah rerun from, he's with the nagra <laughs> bootlegging doobie brothers and, doobie and, brothers. and what's happening but blake has a, a bootleg that that i was interested in where he has billy joel live at toad's place in new haven and the quality of these old bootlegs is so bad like you can he billy Joel's on stage doing a sound check and he's playing like when the music's over uh, people are strange he's doing like doors yeah he never Billy Joel never right? would do Billy Joel songs at sound checks so he's just, he always just do like rock songs so I'm a huge doors fan so Blake's hey you want to listen to this so it's him just up there doing sound checks of like you know uh, people are strange uh, when the music's over whatever else but you're hearing since the mic is near this table you're hearing these people on their first date yeah, yeah, talking yeah. over like so what do you like to do well I uh, you know <laughs> like what do you do yeah, you know it's like and it's, it's, and it's just so funny to think that like that we had to deal with that now I mean it's like look at porn you know what I mean we talk we've been talking as of late of how hard it used to be you know, to find a Playboy, find a, let alone find a video. Or now you can yeah. just Google like, oh, uh, you know, mom fucks her son. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like the it's the the Tying possibilities. Hang it all back yeah. to back to the future. <laughs> possibilities are endless on what you can do on you know uh, you could check out on these things. It's amazing. But anyway, getting back. Yeah, so we're talking we, uh, about uh, I was the other the other interesting thing. Oh, the parking lot at the beginning. Yeah. And, you know, setting up the time frame. But the other thought I, thing I thought was really interesting and really effective is. <laughs> We find out, you know, Doc says to Marty, which you kind of hit to that, he's like, you know, when this baby hurts in 88 miles per hour, we're going to see some shit. There's some lines in this <laughs> <laughs> that used to get, I remember in the theater that getting a laugh. Like yeah. that was. There's a lot of funny lines. That line, that was a classic. I wouldn't say it's as big as like make your day or I'll be back in the 80s, yeah, but yeah. that was a big line. When you when this gets to 80, you're going to see some, and that's the, maybe the first swear or noticeable swear in the movie. Yeah. And that's like, that was funny at the end of the movie where roads, we were going, you know, I mean, that was so much so that Reagan quoted it in like an address. You know what I mean? But he's telling us right there that if the, oh, it, that, when he hits 88 miles per hour, it's going to go back. The We're going to see some shit. Yeah. So then when Marty's driving around trying to get away from the Libyans yeah. and we keep on cutting to the speedometer and how it's just about to hit 80 and then it, he turns and then it goes back. All this, this beautiful suspense. Yeah. It's all, I guess what, you know, what, Aside from like the screenplay, this movie and you know it's a big testament to to Zemeckis in that it feels so Sp- Spielbergian. In that you know few directors, in my opinion, understand and can translate for an audience like the language of cinema yeah. as well as Spielberg does. I mean. And, and once we start, actually, you know, we might do a Spielberg movie coming up, and I have specific scenes in that movie that I laugh because they're so perfect. Yeah. Um, that this isn't one of those. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just like when you see something, it's like that is the way you would do it. Of course. Yeah. Like there's no we, better we've way. We've already established that Blake laughs at things <laughs> when he's either nervous or whatever or whatever. Uh, you know, this movie is a perfect example. Zemeckis's understanding of the language of cinema in this movie is so on point. Like yeah. that's one. Like look, that's that's something that you doesn't advance the story easily. Somebody could not have thought of that instance, but to say like. We know it takes us to 80 mi- 88 miles per hour. We're going to add just just a little bit of a little cherry on top of this. Just a little bit of suspense of like, 
he's about to get the 88 minutes and then he doesn't get because he turns yeah just beautiful. This movie's so beautifully excellent. And there's a lot of like ad libs in this. I mean, they said Doc Brown, Christopher Lloyd would ad lib a lot in this. Biff would ad lib a lot in this. So who knows? Some of this stuff could have come out of a rehearsal. I guess before we get too far along, this is something that I remember that was notorious that we should probably touch on is the Eric Stoltz. He Eric, there's a whole. You know, we got a little ahead of it, but there was a. They wanted Michael J. Fox, who to me never seems. He's a weird lad to me because I've never he doesn't never looks too young and he never looks too old. Yeah. So I can never tell his age. Yeah. So I don't know how old he is here because to me he looks the same age as he does here as he does in Spin City. <laughs> now when I see him like recently yeah. when he's you know he has Parkinson's and stuff, but he's also he looks older. Age, yeah, 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 exactly. But there was like twenty in the eighties and nineties he looked all the same I think age. He's like to me. 21, 22, maybe twenty three tops. Because they filmed this Because when you see the interviews at the time and he's talking about like you know that I, he knew how to skateboard and he was looking for girls and this was like this is what attracted to the script because he did all that. I was like, "How? where's he getting all this time? <laughs> <laughs> he's going to high school, he's skateboarding, he's, he's doing by day, he's doing family ties yeah. at night. It's like, where the hell is he getting You know, I also wonder, like a lot of these stories are obviously in hindsight. So I always wonder like how true is it that like they really wanted Michael J. Fox but he couldn't do yeah. it. Yeah. Because, well, because of family ties. They want him, to, they want him for, for this, they think he's perfect but he can't do it because he's shooting family ties and family ties is a huge hit and one of the cast was out on maternity leave so they're like, they're like you can't have him have another uh, write him out of episodes because you know he's the hit of the show so they go and they cast Eric Stoltz and Eric Stoltz they shoot like nine weeks with Eric Stoltz and I remember yeah. this being notorious because when you and I were little n- uh, no footage ever been released of it yeah. and the you would be hard pressed you might see a still, a still yeah. and I remember there's a still that it's like them on the driveway at the end of the movie maybe and it's a black and white I know still. there's a there's, there's a that's popular one of him and Lorraine he's in bed yeah. Lorraine sits next to him in bed. There's a shot of that. You know, you see some of these things. So they cast Stoltz, and Stoltz does about nine weeks of the movie with the entire cast. And uh, they hire, what's her face? Um, um, Claudia Wells to play Jennifer. Well, in the well, not originally. There was someone else in that part. But then they, they, they were interested r- in her, but then they said no to she, her because Michael... Because... It was... Apparently, obviously, this is all... Oh, no, you know what it was? She got a pilot for a television go. show, yeah, apparently. So, yeah, so she got a She, got she a had pilot. audition for things like Sherlock... Junior, young Sherlock Holmes. All the ambulance stuff. Uh, yeah, she had, and she, had, uh, she had auditioned for all these things, and... Uh, the, uh, so the story goes. We can't. Uh, well, that's out of. Well, that's out of out of her mouth. She, yeah, she got the pilot. Yeah, but we then, don't know what really. Why yeah, they didn't cast her originally. And I then mean, they, we just were going for it. So, so out <laughs> of point is like there's there's, there's so much there's, conjecture. Yeah, yeah. But apparently the story. She got a pilot, and then uh, they were going to pick up the show. So, so she, she couldn't do it. She couldn't do it. So they ended up casting. And then she does six episodes of that pilot, and that pilot dies. So they ended up casting somebody else. So they opposite ca- of. M- Apparently, according to Wikipedia, which yeah. again, no hearsay, uh, Melora Hardin, who on this show has only popped up, and I believe in one instance, in that she's the club singer in The Rocketeer when they go to Neville Sinclair's wow. club. The Enchantment Under the Sea Club. Yeah, What's I the know. name of that club? It's the, it, it, she's singing with Marvin in the... Uh, <laughs> Um, in the in the in the she's the starlighter. She's the singer in that, and she's uh, she's popped up actually. Yeah, I, probably, I remember the scene probably quite well. in more things on television stuff now. So supposedly she didn't she have a relationship with Eric Stoltz of some sort of? Well, I th- what they say is when they recast Eric Stoltz, 
she was now too tall. This was the explanation she got. So, so they, they cast her in the movie as then, Jennifer. Yeah, and then we'll get to what Marty's happens to Eric girlfriend. Stoltz. But then they recast Eric Stoltz with Michael J. Fox, and then there's the issue of yeah, they didn't think my, Eric Stoltz apparently comedically didn't have the timing. Well, because he what was it? doing it supposedly as a dramatic role. He was acting it out dramatically. And also, if you look at the pictures, I don't think he knew. If you look at the stills and stuff. Like, I feel like when they, they also used recasting Eric Stoltz to change other, like, and as an excuse to change other things. Because if you look at Eric Stoltz's pictures and stuff, he's dressed really, like, hip 80s. Yeah. Which Michael J. Fox's Marty McFly isn't. Yeah. Like, a, you know, like his jean jacket is a little bit 80s. They, they, one of the big things that, um, what's his face, Bob Gale, is he the... the uh, yeah, the writer. The in writer in Zemeckis' site is, as great as an actor Stoltz is, they say, one, that he was playing it in a dramatic way, but two, he didn't understand what, say, Michael J. Fox would, would which is in the realm of comedy. Michael J. Fox would make the joke be his reaction. The punchline is his reaction to the situation, which Stoltz wasn't really doing. Stoltz, to me, so- sounded like he was doing more of a straight role. Yeah. Where and it's I love like, Stoltz. Yeah, he's freaking amazing. So they shoot that much of him, and they were even going to... The, the guy who plays number two in Biff's gang, not Billy Zane, but they were going to cast him as the lead as Biff, but he didn't look intimidating to Eric yeah. Stoltz, but had... Michael J. Fox been originally cast like they wanted to. He might yeah. he might have played size wise, yeah. And apparently, so when they decided that they were going to recast Stoltz, and which was mutually agreed, Stoltz because he called Peter Bogdanovich in the phone call and said like I'm I don't like, know I what don't I'm know doing if I think I'm right for this. Yeah, part. so everybody it was amicable. It wasn't like what's this? There's a story of um, them shooting with Harvey uh, Keitel on Apocalypse Now. They shot yeah. like a week as him and the Martin Sheen. Uh, role and then they had to. I don't know if that was mutual or, but this seems yeah. to be, yeah, you know, they're like, Oh, no good. He's like, Oh, thank you. <laughs> I don't know, what the, but he probably got a full salary. And, and apparently, uh, supposedly, Melora, uh, Melora Harden had never even, they never even got around to shooting any of Jennifer's, Jennifer's yeah. stuff. They shot us, they, they took a couple, and then they her. realized that she's going to be way too tall to play opposite Michael J. Fox, yeah. which happens a lot. There's yeah. a lot of like. There's like acting jobs where you know it'll say in the ad like don't apply to this if you're not five nine or yeah. taller or if you're taller than that you know it's it's really this is things that really get considered uh, especially so that, if your star is a short guy you know like so what happens is you know I don't want to get too much into the, yeah. the, the minutia of this stuff just because I feel like there's a lot of, but so they ended up recasting with Michael J Fox who really wanted to do it and he starts he's filming. You know, uh, family, uh, family matters, family, family ties. ties. <laughs> yes, he's Urkel <laughs> on family matters <laughs> all day, and then shooting. You know, at night, all the and that's all the interiors that he's, and night stuff at night, and then on the weekends he's shooting the exterior. So his day is he's waking up, going to family ties, shooting family ties all day, getting to a car, being shuffled to the set, no. doing exteriors, and he's what he getting? He said he's getting a turnaround of four or five hours of sleep a night, and getting not even getting woken up, thrown in a shower, and he did that for what he said like a couple months. And that I mean you. Could do that while you're young, but yeah, yeah. I'm, I when I try to do that now, well, I can now like people be like offer me jobs like you can work at night, and I you know work like a night editing job during the day to make like really good money. I'm like I'm too old for that shit. Yeah. <laughs> and it really puts it in perspective of people who have like they're single parents. Yeah, sure. You know, sure. and trying to ha- and they have to do multiple. Just thinking like, are these people who are putting themselves through college? Just a little uh, side, uh, you know, location shooting stuff. Um, I believe I might have even talked about it in an episode. I don't know which episode, but uh, back in, I think, August, on one of my trips to California, I took a day and I walked all around South Pasadena looking for Halloween filming locations. Yeah. 
which we ended up talking about. I thought in the side cast you and I did. Maybe that was your first trip to yeah, LA. I think we a did one for ago. my first trip. But I walked all around, and suppo- and apparently, I which I saw, I went and I looked around. You see a lot of. Uh, you know, a lot of Halloween is shot in South Pasadena. Not the ending, but a lot of the other stuff. And then, and basically in that same neighborhood, maybe a half mile away, walk, I walked over and I saw, found Lorraine's house, which coincidentally uh, is also Michael J. Fox's house in Teen Wolf. Wow. It's the same house. Uh, two, like literally two doors down from Lorraine's house is the house that they use as the exterior for George's house. And then two doors down in the opposite direction is Biff's house from the second movie. Wow. So it's all, I mean, because it looks very 50s. So you like the tree, this, that street where he falls into the street and he gets hit and, my, and J, Michael J. Fox gets hit by the car. That was all, that's all in South Pasadena. And I walked around and saw all those houses. It's weird <laughs> for me because you think about me growing up looking at especially that house and then... Um, George McFly growing up his house that style to me always look aside from what you see like on the back lots and TV shows like Dennis the Menace or the Donna Reed show those look very 50s to me yeah. so like every time I'd see those kind of style houses of the neighborhood I live in now or, or from my parents live it's like I have that like oh it's very 50s like back to the future you know uh, one thing I want to talk about is because it's something that I still don't quite understand and it doesn't bother me never did is like the relationship of Marty and Doc. <laughs> well, you know what? Right before we leave, I think it should be worth mentioning that we there was a lot of what ifs of the play Marty, John Cusack, C. Thomas Howell supposedly was cast, and then was they let go because they got Eric Stoltz or somebody. But supposedly they offered the role to Ralph Macchio, and he declined because he thought it'd be silly. It was a silly idea, and uh, that would have been amazing. You think of a major what if if you had like Dudley Moore, who was uh, thought of as Doc Brown, or John Lithgow, John Lithgow, whichever way you go. Whatever <laughs> you want to go with And, it. you know, we always talk about these epic what-ifs. If you had, like, freaking a Ralph Macchio as Marty McFly <laughs> and John Lithgow as, you know, they should do a post. That would be great to see these what-if posters, you know, of all the different what-ifs here. Yeah. But, that, you know, that would have, because, you know, at the time, he's coming off of 84. Uh, Macchio's Karate Kid. He's the biggest thing in the what, what year's Crossroads. Oh, 86 maybe probably 86 yeah. you know so maybe he turned it down to do crossroads or something you know but it's like if he did if he did back to the future because uh, he did the outsiders too which is 85 i bet you yeah maybe with c thomas Howell. and the whole, there's a whole everybody yeah. in, the, in the in the phone books in that movie so it's like maybe you know it's interesting because sometimes we, we play this what if game and i'm always like yeah that would be an interesting movie like it would be different but i could see it being good this movie, like, I feel like this movie's so perfect. Yeah, it's, it's casting. Just, it's bastardization. bastardization. it was like, I can't even fathom, a... like, having anybody else play these parts. Yeah, or James Woods, they said, was, uh, you know, as considered as Doc. It's like, can you imagine? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, you think of it, you're like, I guess, look-wise, like, especially with John Lithgow, you could see the eye, you know, yeah. very I crazy. Could, you, you could know. see John, I yeah. could see John Lithgow. Would it be this, I mean, in 85, he's doing Christmas, uh, Santa Claus, the movie, which we've had, we did on this cast, so he's, that's what he's doing at the time, so. Yeah. I don't remember when, maybe 87 was or 86 Harry, is Harry and the Hendersons. Hendersons yeah so he's doing that so you know it's very well but the, so the relationship between Marty and, and Doc Brown because this is a kind of a relationship that I don't think you would see in a movie well they had to justify 
you know, and I always forget that. The, how does Marty know Doc? Yeah, that's what I and mean. And they justified at the beginning is that I guess he went to get the, Doc to make him a, the biggest amp ever. Yeah, but even you that's kind of silly, you know, but it shows that, like, you know, it's the like 80s I always guitar. wonder, like, you could maybe argue that he walks Einstein. Maybe, yeah. Because he, he comes, you know, he walks in, and he's like, hey, Einstein. But, you know, you don't, that's a, that's a farce. That's a leap. I'm just throwing it out there. And I don't he's think concerned about Einstein a couple times. In the you movie. know, like, you wonder, like, maybe he was hired to, maybe he, he walks Einstein. That's how he knows yeah. Doc. You know, it's It wasn't it's, like Doc was, yeah, you can't see Doc, like, putting, like, you need your your guitar done or, you know, <laughs> you know like, he is, like, you know, it's in like, high school. It's this weird relationship of, like, older than middle age, man. And yeah. a teenage boy, <laughs> like it's just something that, unfortunately, like you know, for because of no uh, nowadays stigma, like yeah. you would never see a relationship like that in a movie. No, it would have to turn. Not into that some there's sort anything wrong with it. Torrid about no, but it. But, but just they would the turn fact it, that the implications like a, a would be a six-year-old guy yeah. would be fr- fr- just friends. Yeah, you know, and it would turn into I think like you don't even get the sense that they're neighbors. No, they you know, it'd be know one thing if it's out. like oh, like I grew up next door. Like when I was little. In Philadelphia, before we moved to Albany, when I was really little. We lived next door to this older couple, Bob and Jean. Oh, I remember Bob and Jean. <laughs> it's like me with Lillian and her husband, uh, uh, Char- Lillian Charlie. When and I went to the Bob was with. an older guy. He was missing a finger, and he had a tattoo because he was in the Navy when he was young. As you do. And, and I, I uh, bet you it was that tattoo that it's kind of faded, so it's like that weird green. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's like all, a bluish green. And he can make it dance if he moved that for him. <laughs> and Bob was old, and Bob actually passed away even when I was little. Uh, uh, when, but Bob, Bob used to be out there trying to... My, my mom was a single mom. Yeah. And so Bob would be out there like holding the back of my bicycle. Taking an interest. See, trying you. to help me learn how to ride a bike. You want to make me cry again? You're on your way. <laughs> <laughs> and Bob and Jean were the grandparents of Kathy Joe, who was like my best friend in that neighborhood. Um, and who lived like four doors down. Yeah, okay. But right next door was Bob and Jean. Yeah. But like... There, there's, there's so a, I guess like if Bob was... Didn't pass away, and I lived in that house until I was a teenager. And he was I an w- inventor. I would have a, f- a relationship with Bob yeah. and Gene. Like I would probably go over and like help Bob clean out his gutters or whatever. Yeah. So, but you don't Always even get lawns. you don't even get the sense that like Doc Brown is Marty's next. Well, it's like we don't have time for it. They just have to get going. There's an amp, and you know, there's some. They don't tell you the relationship of how it was sparked, but they give you the connection by. It's just it's there and you buy it yeah. and it works. And, and I guess he must their have chemistry paid. is good together. You would think that like Marty must have gave Bob uh, Bob Doc <laughs> money for it. So it's like you know yeah I, mean? I guess Doc if needs, that's like I never because you can't see I don't see I never Doc made needing, the connection that like Marty had him build it. Or to me it was always like they were friends and, and so, he said, it, help. Yeah. so he built it. So he built it for right, Marty because yeah, I can't see Doc like looking to get side jobs for money because Doc's seems to be too eccentric to be. He's only concentrating on this this. You know, his, his, his time travel, his theories and stuff like I that. I do want to get to some of the stuff that I was kind of hinting at earlier with, like, the script. Yeah. And how it doesn't necessarily play into, like, the typical stru- dramatic structure of, of narrative. And that, you know, one of the things that we learned, and I'm not saying it's the right thing, but it's one of the things that's common in storytelling, especially in three-act storytelling. Um, and so it's one of those things that when you go to school for cinematic storytelling or probably even playwriting, creative writing, you ha- you learn these things as tools. Now, one of those tools that you learn is that your main character, your protagonist, has an arc and that they either have a want, they have a need or in some way from in the basic be- levels from the be- from the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie, they change in some way. And that's. 
the journey that and they, that's like the, the hero's journey which we talk about yeah. is something completely different but this idea of that like if we were to say star wars which is where we talk about the hero's journey a lot you know it's luke goes from farm boy and from Tatooine. farm boy to being like a the Jedi intergalactic or, yeah. hero and learning the force and learning about his history he longs for something more <laughs> and you know and then he then it, he gets caught and up he in his adventure to, and he learns and he becomes a hero. They, they, yeah, that's they, they present that as being supposedly the quote unquote most successful or gratifying way yeah, of presenting we, a story in this medium. And we talk know. about that that arc in Last Starfighter, yeah. and we, and we talk about that very arc. recently too. We brought that up. We about did bring the, that up recently with the um, maybe Total Recall because we're talking about how even Schwarzenegger's character he's longing Beauty and the Beast, you know, yeah, just yeah. more than the simple life. You know, and here, but for instance, you know, like when we went to sc- film school in the late nineties, yeah, um, right at the ter- right the, the turn of the century, yeah, right <laughs> at the turn when, when everything was going from analog to digital. But so, like, Pulp Fiction was still big. Yeah, we talked about when we went to film school, and so we talked about Pulp Fiction and putting it in. And I remember we had this discussion of like because there are so many characters and almost vignettes in Pulp Fiction. The structurally, the movie is very u- unique, especially for the time. But like, if we were going to apply the structure, like, who's the main character of Pulp Fiction? And I remember we had this discussion that Samuel Jackson, Jules, is that his yeah, name? Yeah, I think so. He has to be the protagonist because he's the only one that changes from the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie. Yeah, I, I mean, there's huge theoretically yeah, the beginning of the movie, the end of the movie are the same scene, but his art—he's the only one that has an art. Because arc. once you learn this theory of how to do the say the three act structure, then you could turn it on its toes like they do in Pulp Fiction yeah. or Quentin Tarantino likes to do in his movies, and then that would be some. Sometimes people would say that the well, the the whole point of the movie is the, the the guy doesn't change. I remember we're talking about Spielberg when we were in film school, when Saving Private Ryan came up. People were knocking that like Tom Hanks' character doesn't change in the movie, and it's stupid. And Spielberg's full of shit because he's 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 overrated. And, you know, it's like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, you know, it's it's these are we're talking in general terms. Yeah. And so what I find interesting about this movie is that like. I had written down as a note I wanted to ask you, not that I'm like quizzing you, but I was going to say, what is your opinion of, you know, the, where the, if we were going to lay the acts in, yeah. where the first act, I was trying to think about maybe traditionally the first act would, would end when he, when he goes back in time. Yeah, I would say. And he wakes up like after the, the Peabody's uh, Twin Pine, well, Single he's Pine. He's in... Yeah, you know it, what I mean. It's a farm. Yeah, like that's when he leaves. That's yeah. like the end of Act One, and then he wakes when he when he when he maybe the beginning of Act Two is when he's driving down a dirt road. And a, you could even say when he finds yeah, the development back. Yeah, and his act, car comes the beginning out. He's of Act Two is like he hides the car. Yeah, yeah. and then he's then and he the, walks into the fifties into the to the town square. Yeah, uh, yeah definitely. Um, and then what Act Two would end maybe with the climax of could it be? I would say end of the under the sea dance or I would say probably the good turning point for me if I had to if you were quizzing me, I would say when George lays out Biff. Yeah, right there. That's like our big. That's now we're we're now it's a whole we're getting to the third. So would it be even technically like when he says goodbye them on the stairs about the carpet? Maybe that would be the end of you know what I mean? Like after Uh, the excess. I mean, you could say that. I would say it probably starts before that. It would be like the. I would I would include like the, the Johnny, Johnny B. Good, Good and all yeah. that stuff, but uh, this, what I find interesting is like we see evidence that maybe Marty learns something by the end of the movie. Maybe Marty changes, but we never s- actually see any proof of it. Like you could say, we see a brilliant uh, brilliant foreshadowing. 
we see that Marty in the beginning of the movie wants to be a rock and roll player, but now he because he can't even get the school dance, he has like maybe I'm not any good at this. Oh yeah, Huey There's Lewis tells him no. Yeah. So then when we see when he's like when. When George is like, "Oh, I'm writing science fiction stories," and he's like, "Get out of town! Yeah, I never knew you were creative." Some. And yeah. he's like, "Well, I'd be afraid that somebody would reject them." He's like, "No, I get that. We see Marty. It's father to he, son. The he's equipped. He's yeah. he has a connection. Like I understand because I'm afraid that I'm not good with at, my demo tape. At, at rock and roll. We see that that Marty plays rock and roll, and then we can say that maybe he learns through this experience." That he should go for it. If you put your mind to it, you can achieve anything, which is he tells George. George tells him. What do I always say? I always say this. He only says that because Marty told told him that when he was in teenager. Uh, Brilliant time travel, you know, filmmaking, uh, storytelling, in in my personal opinion. So we see that maybe that's he could have learned that lesson, but we never see that he does. Yeah. So in a sense, if we're just taking the movie on its on itself, what's on the page per se, Marty doesn't really change at all. Who does change is George. We see that George learns that he needs to have confidence. He needs to stand up for himself. And he's really in, if we were going to go with this traditional dramatic structure, storytelling sense, really George is kind of the main character. And Marty is, his character is the catalyst for all, for everything. And reaction completely reactionary. What about Doc being the lead? Because you start the you start this movie in Doc's house, and then it's almost a journey. Because I find the I almost get a tear in my eyelid yet again when you have Doc succeed. Like you know how it's like he he is the the frustrated inventor that nothing works right. Yeah, and he has these little moments like it works, and there at the end of it, you know when he has that little he he does a little dance. Yeah, hey, yeah. and he has the same kind of he does it a couple times, but like you know you're almost like and they linger on it. Like yeah. I, you know I wonder if it could be argued too that Doc's kind of the yeah you know you but but, see that, but honestly I certainly but agree with you. We that see that Doc does succeed, or yeah. else the time machine when you know there's a little bit with George after Biff leaves in that scene that we were talking about earlier, where Biff in, the, in present. And Biff's like, "What are you looking at, butthead?" So, "How do you mother for me?" You know, that and and uh, he says, "Why do you let him do this, Dad?" Yeah, and he's like, "You know, car. I needed that car." And he's like, "Well, you know, he's my supervisor, and I've never, be- and I'm just not good with confrontation." Yeah, which is like, that's the mo- That's what George has to learn as a character, as possibly, arguably, our protagonist. His arc has to be now. He's now seen it. He's not good at confrontation. And we see because of Lorraine's unhappiness that because of it, him because, not facing his fears, because this of caused. his la- his not being able to f- deal with confrontation is possibly what's wrong with this relationship, yeah. and it spiraled into something that's so far now down the road and removed from and that. So it took Marty to go back in time, screw up the time space time continuum, fix that. and then have to fix it. To, ha- to give George the confidence to have ch- to be able to change, and luckily George had the wherewithal to actually, when he was faced, there's certainly situations where he could have walked away from that car when 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 Biff was sexually assaulting yeah. Lorraine. You know, I mean, I would have hate to see a movie where as a, a very <laughs> realistic movie where it's like he gets that oh, he doesn't okay. do it. <laughs> <laughs> You had the chance. And then chance. Marty just like yeah. disappears in the oh, trunk. Uh, and I call, they open the, up the trunk yeah. and Marty's gone. Damn, this pot is really strong. <laughs> <laughs> this reefer is where I, it's Even at. as a kid, I thought that scene was so disturbing. Which scene where he's fading? When where, he's in there no, where Biff 
is in the car and he's like get out of here mcfly oh yeah and she's like george help me yeah. and you're like your head pops up over the, the and, and then, yeah with all with her big dress you yeah. can't see anything and then legs. even the scene even when he gets out and he twists george's arm the way that shot where it's like and the music the, the build up the reaction you know yeah it's a way even as a kid i was just talking earlier about like cinematic language i always thought even as a kid even though i never thought of it in this terms on some on like a subconscious level the cinematic language of that scene, the way Zemeckis is telling that story with the shots, like the slightly wide angle, slightly morphed visual of George, like looking up, uh, almost like a nightmare, you know, yeah. like, uh, you know, like when you I always talk about with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like she's in the chair and, you know, Leatherface and, and grandpa or whatever, the dad and, and the hitchhiker are like laughing at her and mocking her for crying. It's just like that hyper, realism POV too right maybe yeah we're well, like looking at seeing her. her and they're like oh and they're like pretending to cry it's such like a nightmare like it's so hyper stylized hyper realistic that like that shot always felt to me like a night kind of like this weird nightmare and then he clenches his fist and and then the music you know that uh but that scene because since you're kind of bringing up that scene that i just want to point out like that scene always kind of even as a kid made me really uncomfortable yeah yeah <laughs> Um, I think everything plays into it with everything just, you know, crescendoing and him then getting over that fear and then him changing time in that certain respect. Uh, you know, so there's that aspect of like, I think so much about this script is, is great. And even that fact that, you know, maybe you could argue that Marty doesn't go through a change doesn't hurt. I mean, you know, like, like I said, that's, it's a general, it's a general rule, but so many great movies break the rules you know what i mean yeah but there's so much other stuff in this movie that that kind of you know it's such a minor thing like i said marty could have learned something we just never see evidence well, of he it builds the because confidence. because doc shows up maybe we, we don't learn it because doc's like marty you gotta, yeah <laughs> you gotta i mean he said i mean he, with me. he's changed he, he he's physically changed everybody around him into what they to them to be able to to be able to fulfill their 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 um what what they their potential yeah you know at the end of the movie which people say sometimes are critical of where he comes back and you know that he has this beautiful house <laughs> his dad's written a book and it's yeah, his first yeah. book you know I but I could see the truck being <clears throat> oh it's such a sweet truck but like a little bit too much yeah but I never but it's heard, like what but you like, wanted but it is a success like you want to live comfortably I know but that you want to have a, you want to have parents that are happy I know but in the in the time of the 80s that was a kind I mean of it's a materialistic yeah time, it's a capitalism I would, I would know, argue that today is even more materialistic yeah, I would agree I, I agree I completely <laughs> agree with you but you know that's 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 the argument to be had but that since we were talking be. about the dance I do want to just really quickly point out and I talked about it when I did it but a couple of years ago I went and I saw back to the future with a live score with an orchestra at Radio City. And it was I'd never done it before. I've done it since. Like I saw Empire Strikes Back a couple of months ago with a live orchestra score and I've seen like Fabio Fritzi do the Beyond live score and stuff like that. Danny Elfman you saw. Yeah, but they didn't actually score a movie. Oh, they were just, just playing the stuff. Theme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you didn't go to the yeah. movie and just listen to the music as the movie was playing. Um, was Alan Silvestri there to do the Back to the Future? I don't think City? Alan Silvestri was there, but uh, Strickland was there. Yeah. And Leah Thompson might have been was there. Was this for the and, 30th and anniversary? Chris, and Christopher Lloyd might have been there. See, um, my day job for the 30th anniversary, the morning show had them, th for the 30th anniversary, had uh, Tolkien, Tolin, which is Strickland, 
Leah Thompson and Christopher Lloyd were all there. And yeah. I, I worked nights. They might have, so I couldn't. They, might so they must have been on the that. same press junket. Yeah. I mean, know? they didn't have a Q&A or anything. They just came out and like waved. That's Although Sylvester might have been there. He didn't, he didn't lead the orchestra. Yeah. Bob Gale was there. That's sweet. Um, but uh, what happens is you, you go to the intent, you're going to watch this with the live orchestra, but then you get caught up in the movie and you just completely forget that you're watching it with the live orchestra. It's almost like you should. It was a waste, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the one scene where it really hit me was we have the Earth Angel scene. And Marty's like kind of falling apart. Oh, so they're even playing like the the I, I no. There's not a live band playing Earth Angel. Okay, but you have the you have oh you, you have, have the, the Sylvester Store come over when he's starting. Like, yeah, yeah, when they kiss. Yeah, but you have like when it's Earth Angel, and then the, finally he bring he pushes uh, what's the actor's name? Courtney Gaines out of the way onto the floor, and he grabs Lorraine and he kisses her, and then the strings come in, and then he comes up and starts playing. <laughs> yeah, with but it's like because then the orchestration comes in playing Earth Angel, backing the band, and uh, that was like I got goosebumps. I got goosebumps. I got goosebumps thinking about it right now because yeah. when that came in, it was really powerful to have the live orchestra come in and play with the band. You know, and really heighten that moment of of the kiss. Yeah, it was really gorgeous. Um, but uh, yeah, I just wanted because that was a personal anecdote. Uh, some of the nitpicky things, uh, you know, like you could say, um, f- even bef- you know, you she says Marty. You know what? Such a nice name. It's like nice enough for your third kid, not nice enough oh yeah because he's the younger one right <laughs> but so there's that but then the big thing that sticks out for me always has is like i'm in a time machine i can go back i can have as much time as i want 10 minutes that should do it <laughs> even best case circumstances even better circumstances of that like when he gets back the delorean doesn't break down best case scenario somehow he he ends up in the parking lot how's like, he gonna that's not even enough time to say like he pawns doc pack everything up we gotta get out of here and we gotta get here before the other marty gets here the Libyans are coming you know like, but 10 minutes half an hour maybe yeah i i guess that was but, but i guess we we learned that like even though this whole movie has to do with time marty's conception of time he's not responsible yeah at the beginning he's like he's you know would you take the time to play you know Johnny be good if you knew that your entire existence <laughs> depends on that you have to be back you know be like you know what I got a couple minutes sure I'll play a song I wonder Marty where were you if- I, I wasn't gonna go back to the 80s in a zoot suit <laughs> I know that's, a, that's another thing what, he looked he, pretty good in that zoot yeah, suit yeah why did he change it out <laughs> to you know. he, he's wasting time changing yeah and he's not even in a zoot suit he's just in like a, he just he's just in Trousers and a, and a top, like a dress shirt. And he's like, "This is I can't look. Come back looking like this. My hair styled all slicked back." And then for him to play the whole the, the whole Johnny Be Good, he gets. And I wonder if that's well. I guess he never had any stage fright about playing in front of people. But it's more of like that's kind of a success. And he's like learning. He's living his dream right yeah, there. You know, like he wanted to play at the dance, and he's able. He to, didn't get to play at the dance. And Marvin's but now he, giving him, "Hey, Chuck." <laughs> you know the funny, and then you could nitpick that, like the minute. Marvin hands oh, up the yeah, phone. He's for not Chuck even Bear. playing. He's, he's playing. Good he's playing Eddie Van Halen now. Yeah, <laughs> he's he doesn't even get the, the dance structure and all that. And that, that's that's really fun <laughs> where they have him, you know, pick up. I mean, because Johnny B. Good 
um, came out in 58, so that to them is brand new in 55. But it, that is a great revival of them playing this song, and it's a yeah. it's a quaint song. Everyone starts dancing, and it's like, you know, it's introducing rock and roll to the kids. Yeah. And then when he gets goes off the deep end, there are like, you know, nods to like, uh, what is it, fucking Pete Townsend Pete in Townsend, there? Pete Townsend, some Hendrix. Hendrix uh, well, Van you know, Halen it's another it's a brilliant piece of like st- storytelling, like script writing like seminar like uh <laughs> workshop yeah you know the idea of he invents and, rock and roll and you have bob gale talk about this how like they did the the uh the the postcard or the Q, uh, to index card index card yeah which, which is a method which, like, they write down ideas, you write the scene and, and you then put you them can move on a, them around on a bulletin and, board yeah and you so can they get the, the idea like wouldn't it be fun if marty invents rock and roll okay so we put vents rock and roll here what else so what do we need to do he needs to go back in time to be able to invent rock and roll okay so we put him right in an index card he invents rock and roll if he's going to invent rock and roll, he know, has to know how to play rock and roll and want to play rock and roll and be able to play. Okay, so Marty's a musician then. So yeah. like, how do we, up here, before he goes back in time, we have to establish. So they come up with these goals that they like that would be good payoffs, and they, they they rewrite it, and they kind of go back and write setups to how this can, yeah, and it ends up being really well done in a certain And I would say, like, the last probably most important thing is we've I've talked about and we've talked about on the show like the importance of restriction for art and how often the greatest art comes out of having to solve problems. Yeah. And their big problem in this case was in the in one of the many original scripts the idea was that they needed to go to Nevada or wherever to an alternate to Go. They needed to harness the power of an atomic bomb to get Marty back to the future. So they needed to go Plutonium. to a testing, a nuclear bomb testing site in the middle of the desert, and Have that go was going to cost a million dollars. And so, however they were going to do it, they're like, "You can't go to the desert." Universal's like, "You're not. You're not. We're not shipping you. To the, you're doing it in the back lot. <laughs> what the fuck? Like are you, you can't. About? Like okay, so we can't no. do that. What are we going to do?" And then, like, because they couldn't go do the ending that they originally thought of. They have like the best ending that this movie could have, which is like, okay, the clock tower, clock time. Yeah, this is going to be this is the whole thing. This There's is a the clock. The, ah! <laughs> the clock is in a lot of ways like I guess like our MacGuffin kind of, you know. And it's okay, like we know exactly what time the clock when the lightning struck because the clock stopped at that exact second. That becomes the whole catalyst of you know now we have like gigawatts the clock in the context of storytelling which I always love which we talk about which is like Marty has one week to figure out how to get back to the future and, that, and that's how you set up he's not we already set up he's not very good with his with 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 uh he's dispensing already, his time and he's wisely. already screwed up the time space time continuum by the time he finds he's taking Doc. too long changing out of his his, his city clothes <laughs> and, his, and then playing johnny be good so we have the suspense of like he's got this has to work at this exact moment because if he doesn't he's going to be trapped in the 50s for, uh but so like this and idea, the anxiety of him telling doc you know, I got to tell you what happens to you. I would need to tell you what happens. You know, in that the becomes. Future. I remember. I remember first seeing that, and the first couple times seeing that, that was a lot of anxiety. Like, you got to tell Doc that you got to save his life because he gets killed by the fucking Libyans. You know, <laughs> you know, and it's like you know, but get away. This, and, I, and then it keeps it in the town. It keeps it like in the confines. The, the, the climax. The climax. It gives yeah. us the suspense 
of the lightning and the timing and and then works the clock tower into the whole aspect it's of brilliant time you know and then it's such a bu- perfect ending and then they they realized they couldn't they were looking they were scouting northern california to try to find like where they could shoot this and they couldn't shoot it in the town and they realized universal has a back lot where they shot the original uh you know uh, uh, all those old 50s movies yeah the, 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 the pilot to uh twilight zone who goes there uh, I'm not who goes there. I'm sorry. Where is everybody? That was shot in that thing. I think Gremlins is shot yeah. on that. You know, I think you said you've, have you been to that? When I went on my tour, which is probably what we did talk about in that sidecast we did of my trip to California, I went on like to almost every studio lot. I took the tours of all the stuff. Warner Brothers, Paramount, uh, Universal, but that day they were shooting the Mindy project on the back lot oh, and so I was so that. I didn't get to go I see mean, it's it so, I did see the Psycho House it's so stuff, iconic because I remember like you know it, it's you know you have Earl Holloman from the Twilight Zone episode pilot running around you know where is everybody so it's like it's almost part of the Americana but that's the best way they have control of every aspect and you think about it it's probably a small like oh, for the ch- yeah and so for they talked about how to successfully uh, do those little the chase sequence successfully with yeah. the skateboard? That's amazing because it looks a lot bigger than it probably already. It, it, yeah, it actually, yeah. you know, these little add these segments you get together. There, it's very tiny. You know, like I saw the like the town square at Warner Brothers was like Hazard County from Dukes of Hazard. That was their town square. It's the town square at the end of Monster Squad. Yeah, that church where people church. are held up in 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 Monster Squad is the same church that in La. The Lost Boys, they go and they take uh, in the holy water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. launching the into montage. the third act where yeah. they're going <laughs> to trap the things. Uh, the Seaver House from Growing Pains is right around the corner, as is all the houses from Desperate Housewives. Yeah, uh, that show. But when you get there, it is it's very tiny. Yeah, I mean the way they f- the way they film things, they make it look like a real. I think they square, said that the, that the, this one from Universal, Donna Reed, was shot there, and, they, and then they said that. Uh, elements of Dennis the Menace was shot there, which would be odd because that's supposed to take place in Wichita. But I mean, they shot it in the back lot. Yeah, but it's it's uh, uh, well, people Dennis were saying the storm. Yeah, and stuff. but they made it sound like that must mean that Dennis took place in California because you know, <laughs> I'm like that has nothing to that. Would not, that's either here nor there. there. Yeah, um, and uh, County is in California. Yeah, it's for Christ's sake. <laughs> Uh, and for the for that alternate ending, they were or they didn't even know they wanted a car to begin with. They wanted like a fridge. Yeah, and originally it was a fridge, like yeah. f- from like atomic testing. And I guess that's something that ended up Spielberg putting in his back pocket and then turning up in Indiana Jones Four. That was the joke of of Indy hiding in the fridge for the for the test bomb testing. Yeah. And they came up with a DeLorean, and I think that's such a great idea. Well, I love that he never finishes his thought. He's like, well, I figured if you're gonna. You might as well invent a time machine. You might as well do it in style. Plus the the stainless steel. Something about he's going, about he's yeah, about, he's about to, to like it's because the way those cars were built, like the exterior of those cars were like unpainted stainless steel, which was very unique. Is I mean, like, yeah, no, I, mean, I don't know if any other car is built that way. So it was like he was about to give us a technical explanation, but then it's like I think Einstein barks. <laughs> and they look away, yeah, because yeah. he starts barking. He because maybe the Libyans are no, maybe that's not that's later on. But it's it's such a and it's such a unique design. And they picked the DeLorean, the uh, DMC twelve, because they thought it looked with the gullwing doors. It looked conceivably because in that scene when they go to the barn, yeah, and right out of the EC Comics there, and it's I mean it's it's laughable how that's so set up. 
perfectly it looks like a fucking time machine <laughs> the kid's holding a comic yeah, you know like the and then and then the, do- the going door opens that's very foreign he comes out in a hazmat suit or radioactive suit yeah. it's so done you know the lights are ble- the, the hazard lights are on the emergency lights the, the the i think the headlights are going in weird intervals well, it's kind of you know it's it's brilliant in that we're talking about us like a, we're talking about science fiction yeah a science fiction movie time travel movie but you know the er- the era of the science fiction film the ec comics science fiction comics you know all this was at the height of its kind of thing yeah, it's the, like a love letter to all that yeah. so you have these moments of the comic we have george wants to write science fiction george has that comic book when he goes and he's like i'm darth vader from the planet vulcan. vulcan yeah you know he has to it becomes the idea of extraterrestrial life is how Marty has to convince George to do <laughs> to, to cast yeah. Lorraine out, and then at the end of the movie, it's almost like George figured it out because he, his book that it's done. It's like the, it has elements of the whole story. Well, yeah, I mean, you it's know. clearly like you know their love story. Yeah. How that's what how he's had su- success uh, is through science, is through writing, and then his latest book is telling the story <laughs> about when Marty was okay. back there. And, and, and it's I love in, in that era of the 80s like you have the DeLorean you know we've profiled cars on the show you have the the, D, uh, the DMC-12 and I love the idea it's like the Ecto-1 where they retrofit it's that <laughs> yeah, 80s yeah. you know the Ecto- Ecto-1 is like a you know a 59 Caddy uh, ambulance hearse model and you have they, they retrofit this beautiful DeLorean which was only made John DeLorean made DeLor- uh, cars from like 81 to 83 and they were hugely expensive they weren't very good quality and I think there's something like only uh, 900 or 9 no maybe 9,000 and most of them only nine parts now yeah only 9,000 were produced and then they halted in 83 and it's weird because back in the day somebody only like it seems to me that people I knew, everybody knew somebody who had a DeLorean yeah, in their town. Yeah. Like I knew, I, I saw a DeLorean growing up that like some guy had a DeLorean in the town. There was, um, <coughs> excuse unfortunately me. he's no longer with, we're getting to the age now where like unfortunately people that we know are not no longer with. Oh, Josh Nasugi? Josh Nasugi's dad had a DeLorean. I've a never, DeLorean. I've never stepped into a DeLorean. I've always wanted to. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a mind blowing car. Uh, I mean, a lot of gearheads talk about how it's, you know, it's, it's, it, it as beautiful as it looks, there's a lot of issues with it that they were even having problems with on set where the going doors would kind of fail. Yeah. Well, also, and like, fall. You, you can't park it anywhere. Yeah. Because you can't open the door. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a going door <laughs> issue. You, know, you have to be able like to... You can't pull into a parking spot where you have a car on either side of it because then you can't get out of your own yeah, car. Yeah, because it, when it goes up, it's, it's, it, it, it goes bigger. And they, they and you like you said, yeah, that now there's become a home homegrown industry since they haven't made... No DeLoreans have gone off the line since 83 that there is people have these fiberglass fabrications that you can get kits to make new DeLoreans or or you there's people who just specialize in all the parts that were sitting in factories to make DeLoreans never got yeah. made now they're becoming stock parts and people collect them and people you know, people that have them they get together yeah these and DeLorean they all park their DeLoreans in the park and it's out. very popular i mean i wouldn't say as much as the Ecto-1 because you don't see anybody buying like Cadillac hearses but it's like it's very big to get the customization to make the, the a DeLorean into the Back to the Future DeLorean model, yeah. which is even... So you, as much as... You probably have a 50-50% chance of seeing a regular DeLorean and then or seeing a DeLorean that's been customed into the, <laughs> yeah. to the Back that to looks, the Future. Yeah, it looks like you know? machine, and yeah. it's and, and if people don't know the history of John DeLorean, they should look him up because he ended up getting busted in like a... He uh, was a, a sting for like doing a cocaine deal. He was trying to get money to keep the company going and he got 
uh, into this elaborate thing, and he was in a hotel room helping to sell a, like a, like a couple kilos of coke to like undercover agents. They kicked in the door, and it fell apart. Yeah, but they used. I feel like it's funny. I feel like they mention it in a fictional context <laughs> in an episode of Twenty One Jump Street. Actually, of John Delorean. You're like, how'd that? you get the? How do we get this house? You know, to to for a sting. Yeah, and like, like John oh, Delorean. It was well, not John Delorean, but like it was uh, the guy who built the car that got stuck. You know, that yeah. got cut. But and it's the, very much. I think the car could have become like a Tucker, where it's like it could have came and went. And people might not have known about the car, but since they f- idolized it or immortalized it in this movie, yeah. I mean, they use six Deloreans in all three movies, and there's only like two left. You know, uh, and then they have the train, of course, from Back to the Future Three. But it's it's such an iconic, you know, it's 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 one of these. It's like the Ecto One. It's like uh, you know the the uh, the car from uh, what you call it from uh, Smoking the Bandit. It's so oh, yeah. it's just it's, so much as yeah, it's half the movies. The the how beautiful, yeah, exactly. You know, the Charger. Batmobile it's like you know, the Batmobile, McQueen's uh, of Shelby Fastback. It's, it's it like, is one of the great. Hollywood cars, yeah, uh, vehicles. Of I all mean, time. you you get like your Matchbox at it. You're gonna have a freaking DeLorean. <laughs> you're gonna have a Matchbox. You have a uh, you know. A, Speaking a, of a uh, 21 Jump Street, I just want to some people some shout outs. Uh, Maya Bruton, who plays Lorraine's little sister, she appeared. In the 50s. She appeared on this show, uh, and she's the little girl from Adventures in Babysitting. This, who's obsessed with Thor? With Thor? Yeah. Oh wow. Oh wow! <laughs> you don't say. Uh, so much she, even. She was. <laughs> Sorry. Heavens to Murgatroyd. Oh, that's uh, I was doing. Wilford Brimley, <laughs> not Wilford Brimley. What's his name? What's uh? Joe Besser. No, no. What's Martin Short's character? Oh, and Forsake uh, Grimley. Ed Grimley. Ed Grimley. Yeah. Forsake you, but then we'll get into Snagglepuss. <laughs> Heavens to Murgatroyd. <laughs> she played uh, Parker Lewis's little sister, and Parker Lewis can't Wow, lose. that is her. Yeah. She was in a, a, an episode of Twenty One Jump Street, uh, yeah, and she she played a pretty big. I don't know how many episodes, but she had a very important, a big episode that I still remember from the Wonder Years. I don't remember. Whereas, it. like, she's Kevin goes out with her, and then Kevin breaks up with her or something. You know, the big um, episode I remember for that is when Punky Brewster was on that episode when they're oh, like yeah. on, they're on like the rowboat, he <laughs> yeah. kiss her and he falls off. Uh, and also Courtney Gaines, who plays Dix. Uh, plays Dixon in this. He's the redhead guy who's kicking George in the high school when he has the kick me sign. He's the one that cuts in on him and Lorraine and then... You mentioned him, yeah. He's the guy from uh, Children of the Corn. He's in the Burbs. He's the one that came with the frame from... Uh, oh, he's the, he's the one of the... He's one of... Uh, what's his face? Came with the frame. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, he was in uh, Can't Buy Me Love. I think he's one of Patrick Dempsey's friends and he's also... Uh, as a lot of actors in the 80s, young actors, was in an episode of 21, 21 Jump Street. Jump Street. And, you know, I was as looking at, what's her name? Is it Claudia Wells who plays Jennifer in this movie? Yeah. Uh, she has a very, like, Sean Young look to me when I looked in the face, you know? She's yeah, I like, could see that. And it's sad because they said the reason she's recast, Elizabeth Shue recasts her is because her mother got cancer and she had to bow out because she had to take care of her mom. And they said they didn't even plan a sequel, which is amazing. At the end of the movie, they just thought it'd be a great climactic yeah. ending to leave it. And I remember... So when you saw this originally in the theater, they didn't. It just ended, and then yeah. when they put it on VHS in '86, they added the to be continued to try to gin up some yeah. uh, buzz about having a sequel. And then they said, had they originally thought that they were really going to do a sequel when they shot it, they wouldn't have threw Jennifer in the car because in Back to the Future Two, as soon as she wakes up, she knocks herself out, and then they get rid of her. <laughs> She's yeah, they, they don't need her because that's that's hard. It's like how are we gonna? I've 
found that in storytelling. How, what do you do with the girlfriend or yeah, blah, blah, yeah. blah in, in the character? You know, do they tag her along? And, you know, so that, that's an idea of, and we haven't really had time, but some of the deleted scenes are pretty crazy. And um, talking to this, this about my wife, she was saying she remembers viewing some of the, seeing the deleted scenes in the movie. So I wonder. Maybe I, a television Yeah, version? there's, there's <coughs> scenes where like there's extended with him coming as Darth Vader and using the hairdryer. And then the scenes when they lock um, George McFly in the phone booth when he gets delayed to go out and interject with Marty McFly when Biff yeah, and, and, yeah. The, and I think it could be a, a, a situation where they, they extend it to you know oh well, I remember Saturday they used night. to show the scene with the hairdryer because it used to be like well where do you get a hairdryer and then there used to be like yeah, see, it's I have from, an, it's from a that. deleted scene yeah so it's weird. much so like you know how you, when we did Goonies you always used to hear you'd be like what Octopus. <laughs> yeah. The, you know, know. Like the octopus is from a deleted scene. It's like, like uh, you know, we talk about when Roger Rabbit, where they had the uh, the pighead scene when he comes out of Toontown. Like these are the, yeah, these, yeah. These, these great deleted scenes. They're like, well, throw them back in for the TV version because, say, they needed time or they wanted to just generate buzz that they were airing it on TV and, like, we're adding, giving you a bonus before you had DVDs yeah. with deleted scenes and stuff. Um, the Marvin and the, Mer- uh, the Starlighters, great. I love that. Was another, you know, we talk about all these. Quick jokes with Marv talking to Chuck Bear, Marvin Bear. You know, you know everyone laughing at that. It's just so. Um, well, it's also like the language they use is good because it's not too on the nose. It's like, hey, Chuck, it's, Mar- it's your cousin Marvin, Marvin Barry. Barry. Yeah, <laughs> Marvin Barry means Chuck, Chuck Barry, Marvin Barry. Okay, I got it now. You know that's you not know. even the. Well, take a listen to this. Um, and this is the only movie where they have the car, which I thought was a great device co- when he, when it time travels, comes out as, covered in ice. Yeah. And I love that idea that like for whatever reason. Hot, comes in cold. Yeah. And it's, uh, and it's, you know, it's, they, they kind of gloss over what's actually happening when they send it to ILM and ILM does the effects. But basically, if you think about what the car is doing is whatever is on the car and it goes along the side to the front, it's shooting something out that's opening a portal. Yeah, which I love the, the way it looks yeah. in the parking lot. Because it, it it's like creating this field in front of it, and then it's going to drive, and then it's it. going to, and then it tear just, open to time, and, and then, then it causes this, thing. and then you don't even see that happen because that's covered by an explosion. And they have that great device with the, uh, which was huge. They'd show that when it was coming out was the the, the tire on fire, yeah. and that was a big that shot, uh, the reaction of the of it, and then them turning. That like it's like a composite shot yeah, was amazing. Really bad. I now. know, it doesn't but hold yeah, up now, which but. is sad. And that gets us to probably lastly we should cover is the Drew Struzan poster, because when that came out, that is one of the most. I, it's so funny because me being like a car kid and truck kid when I was little, like I can never figure out the the geometry of of where the car is supposed to be in that poster because <laughs> yeah. it's on a, such an awkward angle. Yeah, and the, yeah, the door it's not, looks weird. It's not at all real, but they had to do it to, to necessitate to have the, it look good. But it's such an iconic poster of the time. And that was it's almost and then they they mimic it in two and three, which is amazing. Yeah. You know, but I would say of eight of eighties movies, it's you would put it in easily easily top ten most iconic movies. Posters? posters? Yeah, of course. Yeah. If not top five. Yeah, I and mean, that's a lot of and probably half those are Drew Struzan works of you know, like yeah, you, know, like, I mean, you know, all the <laughs> stuff, you know, we what he did Goonies, the <laughs> Indiana Joneses, he did uh, ba- Adventures in Babysitting. Uh, I, he might have did Masters Universe, which I'm not saying that holds any kind of esteem, but, but it's, just it's the in look. that style. Yeah. yeah, so it's like it's amazing. Just the, the it all comes together with the uh, Alan Silvestri score, and again Huey Lewis, how big he was in the '80s, and just the 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 meganness of. Well, it's a perfect know. example of like they talk about how it's it's a fairly small movie. You know, it's yeah. not a lot of locations. It's quaint, but with it's, the, it's with the, almost all backlot with the time with the 
town square is a very small. But Alan Silvestri's score Elevates is it. epic. Yeah. You know, it's so that's it one is of, like a John Williams. It's kind one of, of those kinds of scores. That, yeah, I've talked about it. <clears throat> on my podcast and even my book, but even talking to like Richard Band, who did the score for a pretty standard slasher movie, uh, House on Sorority Row in the 80s, his score is so big and lush that it really, it adds production value. It adds like gravitas. Yeah. And then Sylvester's score does that. One, instantly recognizable, hummable theme. And then just like the side, they, I think they said at the time, They'd never used that many pieces in an orchestra, like in the. It's street. like eighty-six, eighty or ninety pieces. Yeah, it's amazing. It's funny when, uh, when you cut to the first appearance of Marvin and the Starlighters. For years, when you get music on a subconscious level seared yeah. into your brain, for years I'd always hum that. Dan, 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 boom, 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 and I had no idea where that was from. You know, like that yeah. that saxophone. Until I remember now watching this is like. I've known that for so many years, and you just end up humming things. You don't even know where that's coming from. And then on the What If game, it would have been amazing because the head of Universal wanted to call this movie The Spaceman from Pluto. <laughs> Which was a, a weird reference to the comic book yeah, that the kids hold. Because thought, he thought that the idea was so idiotic. And I guess you think about it. When I was little, I used to try to make heads or tails on what the actual title Back to the Future meant. Yeah, and yeah. I thought, and it was almost, for my young mind, it was uh, so weird. Oxymoron. Yeah. So I can see where the the stew heads like that doesn't make sense. He wants to call it Spaceman from Pluto, which is exactly which was the play on the comic book and which was him like zo- space zombies from Pluto. Yeah, so it's it would have been such an odd movie if you had like uh, Eric Stoltz and John Lithgow starring in Spaceman from Pluto. <laughs> you know, with what's his face, uh, the the guy Wilson or whatever his name was, JJ or the guy who was going to play Biff uh, in the lead role, and then oh, the, yeah. what's the Jeffrey other Jeffrey J Cohen, JJ Cohen. Yeah, if playing playing Biff, and then the other girl from um, the Rocketeer playing uh, we had a you know, completely different cast yeah. except Strickland's there he's he's the original you know so um, this has been this was kind of an epic in, in a way because there's so much I feel like we can go into down uh, there's to, so much know. more you know I think when we d- we did some movie recently, I was like, "This is the most notes I've ever had." This is probably the least notes I've ever had for an. And it's off the top of your head because it's like I know this movie, you know the way. Dion knows memorizes movies in a in a way that I typically don't in terms of like remembers all the scenes and lines. But this is a movie that I have a Dion sense of memory when it comes to, it comes to this movie. Yeah, the analytical stuff really goes beyond me. I'm I'm just very. Uh very like Rain Man-ish with the Savanti about like stuff. Uh, and, uh, and you know, the, the biggest walk away from this really makes me think that like, it makes me want to go watch the sequel. It makes me want to go see the yeah. third one. You know, it makes me want to just pick up like it's, yeah. it's almost like, um, like I've been watching the, 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 the rerun of Roseanne now and I never watched Roseanne growing up, but I know yeah. a lot of people did, but for some reason that's giving me the same feeling where it's like, oh, it's people you know, and you're comfortable with, and you want to kind of go back and revisit. Maybe you feel like, oh, in a, in a in your head, these are like neighbors, or it's like a comfortable place. And this is with this. It's like Back sure, to the Future yeah. is like. And it also made me think of like if they were going to do it now, they'd be going back to like the '80s. I know that's that's surreal too because it's I w- I thought of that too last night. Uh, well, when we took our nap after we watched <laughs> the movie, our parents made us take a nap now to calm us down before we, we, we recorded. That I was thinking that yeah, it's like it really is us now because then you got to think of the age range. Like how old they are, you know, to, to, so it is literally them just going back to the, it's like, what is that? Is that time 
a hot tub time machine? Is that what they do on that? They go yeah, back to the eighties. Yeah. And to me, that's not as exciting because it's so played out. Maybe because it was so new in the eighties to do that for the fifties mm-hmm. on such a level. And maybe since then, we've seen so many re- reincarnations of that that idea in going back to various times. Because how much of a different movie would it have been if? by accident <laughs> Doc Brown <laughs> left in the birth of Christ you know what I mean like or, or, yeah, or yeah. if he had left in like 1776 you know because I th- someone said that Christopher Lloyd always wanted to do another one where they went back to the Roman era which yeah. that's probably could be compu- complete speculation but it's like it, it would be interesting to put because I don't know if it'd be a comedy anymore if you, you'd suddenly put it <laughs> you know and then that's the thing they said in the, the test screen when they tested this movie they never told the audience in San Jose where they tested it yeah, it was going to be a comedy so when they got to the scene with, with Einstein and put they, people gasped and there was like this level of like uh, anxiety dog. yeah until the dog came back and it was okay because people didn't realize it was going to be a comedy because it wasn't presented to them and you can easily see that it could easily take a left hand turn and this movie could become very serious with the incest card playing and and the other kind of like uh, you know the the sexual assault you know being set up like well just I'm gonna try to rape her and you you break it up <laughs> <laughs> and he's like is that a good idea uh, Marty I don't know he's like, it's gonna work fine <laughs> it's just so it's so funny and then there's even like a, in the deleted scene there's a joke he's like what make out with my mom what happens if and then Doc's like you don't have to make out with her just touch her a little bit or just something <laughs> he's like what happens if I get all screwed up I come back and I turn out gay and it's like whoa that that doesn't really yeah. play anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wowzers. <laughs> go, go, gadget, total recall. So it's, it was just, it was so fun revisiting this. And then I know you've always been wanting to do this for, yeah, yeah. This for centuries. This is one of those movies that was on my list when we started the show. Yeah. And it's, I can't wait till we get around to it. And it certainly is a script that you can probably go teach. You know, oh, yeah. you can look at like we all the examples we've provided, you know. And then I, I think there's another movie coming up later this year that we may be doing that, um, you know, it's another example that we think is a solid, yeah. n- n- you know, left to right script. Um, and like it necessitated two more, and it did. Jesus, gangbusters in the theater. You know, it's just, I don't want to go down another alley because it's getting late. But uh, I just remember it felt like it was so long between this this one and the second one. That's why I said to you for years. But now it was, it was only like years, three years. <laughs> but I remember sitting there. It's like Indiana Jones from them doing Indiana it's Jones. Like, oh wow, they're they're actually going. They're finally going to do. It. it was like it was yeah. three. It came out four years after. But I remember for years that to be continued. But I guess because we were children, it's like are they ever going to get around to it? It's like you know, I mean, each of the Star Wars movies has three years in between the original ones. It's it's to me. It's like you know. After they did Last Crusade, Indiana Jones, for them to get the Crystal Skull out, which was what twenty five years, maybe I don't know, just just guesstimating or twenty years, it's like to think. I feel like that that's much what time it, went through between Back like. to the Future One and Two, yeah, and also was was probably the same summer. Last Crusade and Temple of Doom seemed that long too. Yeah, you know, and then even like, uh, and that's eighty nine. Back to the Future Two came out, so I don't think that's the that might have been November, that might have been later in the year, but I saw that. It's just like. It's a ama- to to have all the memories of this movie because this goes way down the alley. Way it's so way down the alley. Way, I mean, and like I said, it's like one of the last movies I saw with my mom in the theater because <laughs> she she didn't pass away. But you know, but yeah. Anyway. But hopefully we weren't too loud this week. We didn't wake my dad up. Uh, yeah, we did get a little excited. If you want to, uh, if you want to go check that out last week on Total Recall of, of all cat, we had so much more we wanted to talk about in Total Recall Man. that we got we got so <laughs> off our game. We, we just had to wrap, had to, we had to wrap that up quick. <laughs> You know, we, we wrap that son of a bitch up. And then um, next week, um, or, in, or in two weeks, our next episode, we have another. We're in, we're in the summer season now. Yeah. Oh. An interesting summer planned. Yeah. A it's little... Hapdash. Some 
some new, some, some old, some weird surprises. Yeah. I think some left left turns, we're some right ta- turns. We're taking some taking some turns this year. Yeah, should be interesting. Which I don't think is all that different from our other years, but it's just we're, we're we just hit we hit summer really hard last year with like summer blockbuster. Yeah, we were lobbing over the plate. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we were, we were just we were just this giving year, like, we're, like you know we're, t- we're taking a different route. Yeah, we're going we're we're doing all kind. But I mean, they're all on the whole. I mean, we're definitely hitting some summer blockbusters. And I think they're all favorites of people I mean, for one reason I guess or another. We'll find out. Yeah, we will find favorite out. favorites of ours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we like that's em. all that matters. We like them. <laughs> yeah, because uh, you and I and our parents are the only people that listen to this <laughs> podcast. But uh, no, that's not true. But uh, I mean, last week was us. Uh, we we, pull, we called an audible. We were going to do last action hero. We ended up. Yeah, we ended up last minute. We're like, you know what, Pop Ox, Pop Total Recall. Yeah, <laughs> is that tape rewound? Good, because if it wasn't, we weren't going to do it. Yeah, last action hero wasn't rewound, and that's because because we haven't watched this in 1995. So, uh, but yeah, this was great, and this maybe down the line this will have us do. Maybe we should do like two and three back to back, like we did Ninja Turtles. Mm, you know, yeah. do it, do a. Uh, I noticed 85 is big year for us this year. <laughs> We've done we're a lot of 85. We're going back because last year was 87. We were so doing a 30-year anniversary. Now we're doing a... Are we doing any more 83 year? year anniversary. I don't know. We might be doing more 85 this year. I, I, know, but I know, like, if we hit a couple. We Already. a couple this year. Yeah. Goonies. Goonies, I think. Yeah. Uh, maybe Highlander. I don't Highland, remember. Yeah, maybe Highlander. It was a couple. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So, but yeah, thank you very much for listening. We have our... Um, we have Twitter. We have Facebook. We have Instagram. We have our regular site for extras and stuff like that um we have a big uh um as we said we have a big um uh summer plan with all of our stuff if you want to go back and into our back catalog and listen to stuff that's up there we've got jesus probably over a hundred and gazillion <sighs> titles already that we've gone through which is kind of surreal mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. uh blake you've got your book and you've got your podcast to death the podcast available everywhere podcasts are listened to <laughs> and sold <laughs> also please if you have time please take them a, a moment to to rate and review our show and score to death if you listen to it on itunes it would be a great help if you have to please rate <laughs> <laughs> it actually apparently helps in having it be suggested to potential <laughs> listeners like if, if you have more ratings where like people that listen to this podcast also listen to saturday Movie and they Sleepovers. won't they won't do that if we if we're not and the more the more one more ratings and reviews and stuff that you have, the more likely iTunes is to recommend you to other listeners. Well, they should do yeah. So if you have the time and you like this place, this this guy, this place, check that out. <laughs> if you like this place, uh, and then you know, and then did you say you're, you were telling not to do that to your podcast? I said if you listen to my podcast, yeah. scored to death. Do that one too. Yeah, even if, even if you don't listen to it, just 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 just, just go give it a full, <laughs> just give it five stars. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to review it. Help a brother great. out, you know. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we will see you in two weeks. It is late, and uh, I guess that's about it, right? We're going to go back in time. Later. Later.